0: And welcome to episode 177 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelby. And today on the podcast, we're recapping the 2022 Sundance Film Festival as we run down some of the highlights of the festival and the best and maybe the worst movies that we saw uh, over the past week. Uh, but before we do that, Scott, how are you?
1: I'm good. I, uh, I was chatting with, some, with a co-worker earlier today, and they asked me how many movies I'd watched in the last week, and I told them the number, and they were disgusted by that number. And I said, "That it wasn't you meet, more." You should meet my friends, and then, uh, we moved on. But yeah, now well, I'm imagine gonna...
0: if they'd asked you li- this time last year, it would have been even more insane. Oh,
1: right? they know they know that. That's so. That's why they asked me that yeah. because uh-huh. right when I started my new job last year, it was in the middle of Sundance actually. Because I think the schedule was just—I guess it was about the same last year, but it was in the middle of Sundance basically and i was like oh yeah no like i enjoyed the last few days i've watched like 20 movies and they're like what um and i was like yeah don't worry about it it's fine i'm like that um because you, you also be...
0: fit in like return of the king boogie nights like yeah you know, this year I did. I did casual movies to that. throw yeah. in in the middle That's of a sundance lineup i was gonna say i actually watched more movies this year uh than i did last year because i ended up with seven um and i think yeah. I only had five last year maybe um right. but it was yeah i i was i was glad with how i did it i mean i had to do double features basically on monday and tuesday but i i didn't mind that much i didn't have anything else going on so um it was good and you know sundance just they do uh, once again they did a fantastic job with yeah setting everything up everything works really smoothly the, you know, Q and As are great after every movie. Um, other than the the ticket buying experience, we have to I, talk about the, <laughs> the, yeah. yeah we the have ten
2: minutes know. where Scott Harvey lost where I it, thought I wasn't going to get tickets
0: to anything. Again, this is me living in a bubble and like just yeah. overestimating. I, like, because in my brain, I was freaking out. Like, everyone wants to see After Yang, right? There's going to be no tickets left for After Yang. How many? What percentage of people on in the country do you think actually know what After Yang is? Like. Well, you can go on Letterboxd
1: percentage. right now and see how many people have reviewed it, and that'll give you a... a well, yeah. Another...
0: But then, you know... but Right, because everyone who's seen it is probably on Letterboxd. But then, like, again, on my Twitter, every person is talking about it. So it's like, oh, no. Like, every, this is, you know... Again, it's my own bubble I've created, probably. It's just right? actually so Michael Manfax
1: posting over and over again that he bought another ticket to After Yang. I bought another
0: one. Another one. Coconut effects. Um, yeah. I, I uh, you know, so I did freak out about that. But then once the festival started everything was great um i said i think i said this to paul but i was like it feels kind of cool just like watching the intros to the movie like it feels like you're it feels important right like you're there at the festival yeah. like you're see you're part of something exclusive like you're seeing you know whoever lena dunham i don't know why that was the first verse that came into my mind <laughs> but because we were just talking about sharp stick <laughs> but She comes on screen, you know, be like, here's the world premiere of my movie and all this stuff. So that I mean, that part of it was cool. But anyway, uh, I've already alluded to it. We're joined here today. He joined us last year for the Sundance pod. He's joined us on various other pods. Uh, Friend of the show, Paul Yama is here. Paul, how's it going? I'm
2: excited. Um, we're here at episode 177, only 278 episodes until we can finally cover the 455, the movie that everyone's waiting for this podcast to talk about. <laughs> um, but I'm excited. Yeah, like like uh, like like Scott Shelton also, I watched like 31 movies last year and this year I only made it to a baker's dozen. Um, but there's still a lot to talk about, I think, with the stuff that I did see. Um, I'm excited to dig into certain ones and uh, see what we all you know, the commonalities we have and, and the, the kind of outliers that I, I watched on my own.
0: I think the question is, Scott, has Peacock already auctioned the four five five? Like, is this going to be happening? They they did the three five five, right? So
1: no, we did not do we did not do the three five five. That
0: I that thought you I thought we did. I no, thought no, you like, did. Okay.
1: So we were we were we were offered the three five five or Mary. That's May right. Okay, that was. And it, then
0: yeah. we ended up with we were ended up with Mary May. Yeah. That's
2: called the right decision, I, folks.
0: That's I was about right to right. say maybe you got the best into of the bar. I don't know, man. The three five five
1: might have been one of those movies that just blew up on screen. It <laughs> come out on the screen. I don't know. <laughs>
0: For now, it looks like you got the best end of the bargain, but that's also because Marry Me has not come out yet. So, so I, I was
1: at the brand new Alamo in lower Manhattan when I was seeing the two towers like a week and a half ago. And the person in front of me, there was like one person in front of me that was checking in for whatever movie they were going to see. And um, they they bought a ticket for the three five five. And I was like, what? <laughs> Someone came to Did the album to and see them the three five five. And this is also like a month after it was released. It's been so long since this movie was released. I'm like, what what?" was just so good? You know, I mean, I I can't help but think that this person is watching it for like the second or third time at this point. Because like no one is like going to take a flyer three weeks after the release of the 355 and go to Alamo and Mm -hmm. see it at like 7 p.m. on a Wednesday. Like that just feels so random. Um, I feel like they had to be
0: rewatching it, but I don't know. Hey man, I think it's made more it was, than in the heights. So that's you know. even what is to that's say? even crazier that someone might be rewatching it. But, uh, but that's a yeah. bit of an
1: unfair comparison, given given in the heights <laughs> is re- release uh, dual release. But sure. Uh,
0: anyway, uh, let's not relitigate the box office uh, controversies of the past. Uh, let's talk about the Sundance Film Festival. It was held over the last eight days or so. Uh, you know, normally it would be held in Park City, Utah, but. Um, due to the pandemic, everything was once again online, um, which allowed us all to share in the full festival experience. So that was, uh, cool. We're going to be talking about several movies that we saw at the festival. There's a couple of bigger ones that I think it's fair to say were, were both among the favorites that we saw for all of us. So we're going to get to those um, in a few minutes, but, uh gonna to go to each individual person first and um, ask you to give maybe one or two more niche shout outs movies that um, maybe people might not be as aware of as maybe they are of the, the final two movies that we're going to talk about um, and things that you really enjoyed and that you know you would encourage people to see uh, when it comes out if it's already has a you know release when it's going to be coming out or you know that you hope will get picked up sometime soon scott let's start with you uh Ooh, okay i think you wanted to mention a documentary which uh, you and paul both saw and were fans of
1: yeah we can well that's ambiguous i think paul and i saw several documentaries i same. <laughs> um I'm, i think you might be talking about i'm not navalny, trying to give it you, away i want
0: you to re- you could re- be reveal, talking about yeah.
1: fire love or navalny i'm not 100 sure which one you're talking about yeah uh i did want to actually talk about both of them we can start with with navalny which was like the surprise late um uh, not submission because they knew that the film was coming ahead of time, but it was the surprise late announcement of the final documentary in the U S documentary competition. And it was really hyped up when they announced it halfway through the festival. Um, The, the premiere sold out really quickly in terms of virtual tickets. And Paul and I both had the experience of, you know, thinking that we would probably buy a second screening ticket, but didn't immediately jump for it when it was announced and then thought that we had, we had maybe made a mistake. Um, yeah, it sold the out second, then because then the like, second screening sold out, yeah. and we're like, Well, that's kind of a bummer. I I totally was gonna buy a ticket to that. And ended up, we both ended up getting a ticket, getting to see it yesterday as of the time of recording. And I thought the film was not super engaging in like the first 30 minutes, or at least not as much as I had hoped it would be. But then starting as soon as like the second act it really gets into the belling cat angle um which is actually the original angle of the movie from listening to the the youtube q a afterwards it was originally um daniel Rohr, who's the director of the of the documentary was already working with um the guy from bellingcat whose name i can't remember right now off the top of my head um chiro, chiro christo like that, right? i think it's christo, 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 christo yeah christo, yeah, christo yeah. rosev who's like a real life digital investigator sort of independent works for this for this organization called Bellingcat, and he was um, investigating the assassination attempt of Alexei Navalny, which is ultimately what the documentary became to be about: was this assassination attempt, and then the investigation into that assassination attempt in late 2020 um, of Alexei Navalny, who is the opposition um, political figure to Vladimir Putin, um, and just a just the, one of the most sensational pieces of documentary filmmaking in terms of the actual footage that they get this, it it, it isn't new because if you've been following the story closely, like there had been videos of this conversation that had existed on the internet for people to watch. I had not watched it before. I did not know that this was coming in the documentary, which makes me, I mean, maybe the average person, I I don't know how many people actually know about this. Um, It obviously has a ton of views as they talk about the documentary, but um, I was, I just sort of like, I was sort of like lounging on my couch watching this film and then I just like set up during the scene this the scene where they are calling just, like prank calling basically these these suspects within the Russian like government um, and contractors who they believed had a part to play in the assassination attempt and the first couple are just um, like they they cotton on to the to the whole situation pretty quickly realize that it's Alexei Navalny on the other end of the phone and hang up and then they call. One of the chemists who made the poison um, that they used to poison him, and he tells them everything. It's absolutely insane. Um, footage, audio, everything—just craziest. And, and unsurprisingly, this person has literally never been heard of since then, or heard from since then, I should say. Um, and that just sort of, ever since that moment, sort of kicked in. In the like, the rest of it just sped by. I was totally locked in um found the whole thing just uh, utterly riveting and I don't think it's a a perfect piece of documentary filmmaking but it's one of those things that you just you watch it and you feel like everyone like probably needs to see this um in spite of that and I was really really taken with uh what ultimately came of of the whole thing Um, it's sort of a living document in a lot of ways I mean Alexei Navalny returned to Russia and that's sort of the end of the documentary he was arrested um and he's still in prison he's about to go on
2: trial um and he could be sentenced up to, I think it was 10 or 15, even, even longer. 20, number. I think 20. Um, I mean, they even, they, there's like a forward, right? Like when he does the introduction to the film, like it's a very sobering thing where the yeah. filmmaker right reminds us that like he has now for officially about a year been in yeah. prison. And so it is sort of like a document of this time and place. Um, but yeah, like just since I've seen this as well, I'll jump in and add a couple things. Um, in terms of just the filmmaking, it reminded me of the documentary Icarus a little bit. If anybody saw that about cycling back in 2017. Yeah. In the sense that it's sort of telling a somewhat conventional story. That's I think pretty interesting, but like, it's sort of like a little sort of by the numbers and then real life information and news comes to light. That sort of makes the whole documentary pivot and sort of become almost this like on the run thriller a little bit in a way um, it also kind of feels like citizen four the edward snowden film in a little bit in that sense too i think and it captures a lot of that energy of um, political opposition and like the fear that is associated with that and uh, like the ways that people try to escape that and try to you know face this sort of oppression um, within the these political regimes but it, I, yeah I, I thought it was really stellar too um it's I think like it's probably like the documentary that I think will probably recommend to the most people, just because I think it's both urgent and also it, it is just baseline entertaining. I think it's interesting The him him as a subject is really is really interesting. I think him and his family too. Like there's a lot of like just them as people. Like they're kind of compelling I mean, to watch on screen. He's super charismatic. I mean, he's yeah. so watchable. And then, yeah, like, like you said, like the l- amount of access they get in terms of footage of a lot of these key moments too, where you're kind of so, almost surprised that there are k- these cameras around for these like pivotal moments in his political career and his personal life. Um, I thought the documentary is great. Yeah. Cause it's, it's an HBO max original, so it's going to be coming HBO max relatively soon. I think, um, and I know it's like a co-production thing with, with CNN, but I think it's one of those things that I think will be one of the buzzier sort of docs from this. Um, partly because the way that sort of they sort of announced it last minute. But I mean, it ended up winning like the overall audience award, I believe. So it was like pr- the, the most popular film by people who were at the festival. So I guess it sort of it did end up being kind of going over with the most amount of people. Yeah, it is the kind of film that I think. I don't
1: know how long they're going to hold this back from being being released. It's not really a, a theatrical play. And it wouldn't surprise me in the next couple months. This thing shows up on HBO Max drops early mm-hmm. but it's still relevant at the end of the year when we're talking about you know the Oscars next year in documentary yeah. films because he's still going to be in prison it's still going to be
2: relevant um yeah. unless something dramatically changes you know, over the next 9 or 10 months yeah and it's one of those things where it's like i almost hesitate a lot of times to to talk to always talk about Sundance in relation to the Oscars because it feels like sure. almost reductive and sort of an easy sort of like i don't know like sort of a boring conversation to have but i do think there are some movies here that will have some impact in the awards race but obviously it's hard it's hard to tell at this point right like we had some last year that ended up now are sort of in the conversation in terms of Koda, yeah. documentaries and oh some documentaries as well but um yeah, yeah i think it's it's Absolutely. it's interesting to think about um that the movie in regards to that but i think this is going to be one that i just think that a lot of normal that's like your everyday people who are not big cinephiles will probably watch just because it is an interesting totally. political story yeah. Um, and yeah like like you i i realized later on that i had heard his name I remember like I heard the title of the movie and I was like, what is this naval knee? And I was like, I didn't realize that it was about this figure who I'd heard of before, yeah. but the story honestly was a little foreign to me. Like I not like in the literal sense, but I'd had, hadn't had all this information or I hadn't seen the videos that came out about it. And so I was only passingly familiar with it. So maybe if you're more familiar, it's, it's not quite as compelling if you sort of know where it's going, but I think in moment to yeah. moment, it still really delivers.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, there, there is the sensational bits to it, which I think, again, if you're more familiar with, with the subject matter, you're going to know about already. I would say I was like somewhere in the middle on that. Like I knew who this person was. Like it was not like I was familiar with that. I knew that he had been, uh, there was an attempt on his life and I knew that it was the same poison that was used in killing a Russian spy in the UK. Like I knew the the Nova Chuck, um love no. it all. I knew about that already, um, but just didn't realize there was this damning of, of evidence. And I was still was um, pretty engaged thereafter. So yeah, I, I think your mileage might vary, but it's just, it, is, it has a huge, I think, broad appeal, um, especially in this moment. I mean, not to... It is super it. well
2: made, too. Like, it's very well edited yeah. and structured, and it's, like, paced really well. It's not something where it's just, like, leaning on the story. I think there is some, like, real filmmaking behind it that I think, like, you see his voice kind of come through. Yeah, and they definitely are trying to, trying to dig a little deeper
1: than, I think, just the surface sensationalism of it all. They are trying to, I feel like, get under the skin a little bit of of this larger-than-life-sometimes figure of, of Navalny.
0: Yeah, Okay, yeah, I haven't seen this one, but I definitely want to. Um yeah, it, it is coming to HBO Max, I think that was mentioned. Um and then yeah. it's also being distributed by CNN, I think, right? So, it's a um, CNN film, which all that means yeah. probably
1: is that it's going to debut like it's going to have a direct to, to TV. That's what I was going to say. CNN
0: and yeah. then be on HBO Max. Yeah, that's what I was going to the say talking program. about people getting the opportunity to see this. I imagine mm-hmm. there's probably some people out there who still watch CNN and will catch something like this via a lot via the TV. But they probably yeah. they probably uh, know a lot about to be honest, people who watch CNN regularly that's true, probably yeah. know a lot about this because this was pretty
2: heavily covered. Yeah, like that's my the mother my mom mentioned like, "Oh yeah, like I know the whole she sort of even, even we, gave like a soft breakdown of the whole story." And I was like, oh, "Should we get her on? Should she should uh, she give us a little breakdown?" Yeah. She's got her takes are a little too hot, I think, for the pod. But okay, maybe okay. maybe at a later date. Maybe she, a later date. she broke proper letterbox. Yeah, Is she she, she she slapped the five stars on Sharp Six, so I don't think Scott's ready for that conversation. Oh <laughs> boy. <laughs> Speaking um,
1: of Sharp that, Six, no. that's the next film we're going to talk about. <laughs> no,
0: uh, I don't think Paul wants to highlight that, but I don't know. Maybe Paul's going to surprise me. Paul, what uh, what do you want to give a shout out to?
2: Uh, I'll talk about, I mean, it's funny because we we mentioned that we're maybe talking about some under the radar ones and this is not that really either at all, Um, (laughs) but (laughs) the grand jury prize winner for the dramatic, you know, the narrative competition is, was um, film called Nanny, um, which is a like kind of like a psychodrama sort of horror ish film. Um, directed by uh, Nikiatsu Jutu, um, or Jusu, sorry, making her directorial debut. She's like a big sort of Sundance, like legacy person who's made a lot of shorts with Sundance and everything. Um, But it's about this woman from Senegal who moves to New York and she becomes a nanny for this rich family. Um, The family is... Um spearheaded by Michelle Monahan, who plays the, the sort of the mother of the um, of the situation. and sort of it's about um Anna Dia plays the lead character. His name is um, Aisha, and she's trying to save money to bring her son from Senegal over to the United States. And so yeah, it's Michelle Monahan and Morgan Spector, are like the the parents of this girl that she becomes the nanny for. Um and as this is happening, because of some of the trauma of her past, she starts to experience these sort of like supernatural, um, experiences where, whether it's like a nightmare or, or a vision. And a lot of it is, um, really tied into a lot of African folklore. There's like a figure called Anansi the spider. That's a figurehead in this. And, um, it takes those sort of, um, stories and and from the specific culture and it weaves them into her own sort of trauma and, and, um, and a lot of her fears about, like, will her son make it or will he, he be able to survive in America? Um, and it's a really well-directed movie, which I think is the first thing I really noticed about it is that it doesn't feel like a first-time filmmaker. It feels like someone who's, like, may, is like, really comfortable um, with this kind of style that, like, feels already established almost. Um, but I think it, it uses that, and it uses this its sort of, like, social aspects to bring in more of an emotional weight to what this woman is going through. Um, and it's a gorgeous-looking movie, I think. Um, and it really does, like, have... Um, like all these sort of elements that you sort of want in a sort of Sundance drama like this and it's really kind of going for it and I think like it's cool that a movie like this that I think a few years ago maybe would not have been sort of the big winner for Sundance um, in terms of like the grand jury prize like it getting that kind of recognition is good for it I think it'll get more eyes on it um, and it is a movie that I think is like the kind of like under the radar thing that maybe you'd see on critics list, but maybe not a lot of of people will have seen. And maybe because of this, more people will watch it now. Um, But yeah, I thought it was really excellent. um, A really excellent debut film. And and it's the kind of thing that makes you want to watch more movies from this director and want to give her the budget and the ability to sort of look more into, um, you know, whatever sort of interests are in terms of her narrative sort of
0: future as a director.
1: It's so fascinating when you think about what won the dramatic prize last year, which was Coda, which is still, Mm -hmm. you know, a movie that people are talking about. Now because of the award season yeah. that's that's ongoing. Um it is interesting that there's no I mean that was such an unusual year last year because I think Coda and Hive like won both they, the they tri- dominated, yeah. They, they dominated they won both in a the way that is really weird for Sundance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this is feels more like more back to normal, if that's the thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if something so genre different than Coda um, yeah. is able to persist through the year. Like I feel like Unlike Coda, it probably needs to show at other festivals. I feel like to to garner to like to keep the conversation going with it. But maybe Mm -hmm. I'm wrong about that. I don't don't know.
0: And I don't know what the general vibe of this movie is, but Coda is such a crowd it's a thriller, right? right? I think yeah. yeah. It's
1: like a horror thriller. Yes, this is. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. Right. No, I was talking about Coda. It's a horror thriller,
0: right? <laughs> okay. So no, so that's that's another thing that I think Coda obviously had going for it when we're talking yeah. we're talking about it strictly in the context of awards season that maybe this movie won't have um, necessarily on its side as well. But I, th-
2: but, I think this is in the vein of some of the dr- grand jury like dramatic winners from the past. Like even if you think about something mm-hmm. like Fruitvale Station, which is not exactly the same thing, but sort of has the sort of social bend to its drama because um, they don't you know they don't often necessarily do genre movies but like there are movies that are in the state like clemency i think won in 2019 and that also is like sort of like a socially imbued drama with that's like not yeah. a very crowd pleasing because like, that like that's the, the not the point yeah, yeah but that's like yeah. but that is the point sort of of the grand jury right is to give it to something more sort of artful and then i think the audience award is for a more the your classic Sundancey kind of movie like the movie you think of when you think of sundance um, so I think that it makes it, yeah, like you said, it is kind of kind of a return to form for them in terms of splitting the, the the winners into like, this is, you know, different these are these kinds of movies that we normally expect to be in these buckets.
0: But yeah, I want to check Nanny out. Um, this was, it was, I was close to getting a ticket for it again. I wanted to sort of limit myself in, in terms of number of movies I watched. I didn't yeah. want to burn myself out or anything, but this would have been probably one of the next three or four if I had kept going um in terms of getting more tickets so want to check this out do we know did you say if it has distribution yet or
2: i believe it does not have distribution currently um because i don't think it's been acquired yet but i think it's one. i mean i certainly think it will be especially after it wins a prize like this i think people will be quick to kind of snap it up um one last thing too is i think in general like there's been a lot of interesting like um pieces of criticism i've seen predominantly from like black critics i think that sort of dig into some of the aspects of the movie that like other people may not be privy to so i would like encourage you to read like people of colors sort of takes on and specifically people who are black, I think, because it is so much about that experience in America and everything. Um, so like someone like Angelica J bastion and other people have like interesting reviews that I think are worth seeking out because I think they dig into it from a perspective that is, I think more appropriate to a movie like this. So yeah. sure.
0: Sure. Yeah. I think that's a good shout. Um, all right. Uh, the movie I want to talk about is uh, a movie called Watcher. Um, this is from a female female filmmaker named Chloe Ocuno. I believe it's her second movie, or she made a short or something like that. Um, so uh, it's something in that vein, but um, I think it's, it's a okay, it's a thriller. Um, it is kind of a little de Palma y, a little 70s paranoia uh, type thing going on here. Micah Monroe uh, from It Follows and The Guest um, stars as this woman who moves to Romania with her husband. Um, He has a job that he or he's he's from there originally and then he has a job that he's taken over there Um, and she moves into this new apartment with him. She's a you know classic American blonde, doesn't really, not really familiar with the environment, familiar with the world, but she's moved over here for her husband. She ends up getting left in the apartment alone a lot while he's off working long hours and doing who knows what. Um, and she ends up uh, sort of looking out the window and she starts to believe that her neighbor across the way, um, who is played by Bern Gorman, um, is in fact, Watching her um, and maybe not doing anything more sinister than that, but watching her and, um, you know, complimenting this is the fact that there's been sort of some murders going on of women. Uh, and so that's sort of stoking her fear of the situation. Um, and you may think listening to that setup that, oh, you know, we've seen this before. We've seen this recently. Right. We had last year, we had the voyeurs, we had the woman in the window. We had these sort of oh, rear yeah. window uh, riffs. Uh, it all goes back to to Rear Window in a way, I guess, but uh, you know, or Disturbia, to
2: or Disturbia, you know, whatever whatever you want to yeah. use as the main reference, uh-huh.
0: um, or the woman in it, the it all...
1: across the street from whatever that Netflix TV show was. Yeah,
0: that <laughs> just dropped today. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it all it all goes back to that, uh, and so you may think, yeah, we've seen this before. However, I think this movie uh, finds a way to mine something new from this setup, um, and. and the main way I think it does that is by, there's just this sort of cat and mouse game going on of who is actually doing the watching, right? In all of these movies that I talked about, it's very clear, you know, Jeffries is watching across the way, the killer in the apartment across the way, um, or, you know, the voyeurs. Well, obviously there's twists and stuff that happen in that movie, but, um, you know, we're we're clearly seeing it from one character's perspective as them being the watcher, the other party being the you know, unknowing victims of the watching. Here, you are not really sure who is uh, the the titular watcher, right? Because um, yes, this guy appears to be watching her, but also what if she's the one who has provoked the situation, right? By just looking out the window and now he is the one who's looking back in curiosity so there's a whole there's a sort of cat-and-mouse game going on that is interesting and like I said I don't think you get in other movies of this variety but it also sort of plays into the I mean this is a you know kind of hashtag believe women type movie um, that we've seen a lot of um, but it also it, so so all this sort of plays into what it's trying to do because as the characters the mainly male characters in the movie are sort of trying to gaslight Micah monroe's character into saying hey no you're not actually seeing what you think you're seeing um the movie is also sort of gaslighting the audience by making you think it it, you know is she really seeing this or is this all in her head right uh is she kind of just a lonely woman in this city that she doesn't know anything about this country she doesn't know anything about that she's not familiar with and she has sort of you know she's she's sort of the American tourist, right? Who has blown things out of proportion uh, by believing the worst about some sort of you know situation that she's invented across the way. I also I pointed this out to Scott. I think it's really smart to cast Burn Gorman, right? A guy who just looks evil uh, when you look at him in this type of role, where you are supposed to kind of believe that he is this shadowy figure but he's not actually really doing anything shadowy for most of the movie. Uh, he's not really doing anything sinister or evil, but you are supposed to believe that he is just because we're kind of seeing this from her perspective. And so Byrne Gorman, I think is smart casting just because you see him and you're like, yeah, this guy's probably up to something. No offense, Byrne, but I'm, I think he probably knows at this point he's getting top cast in these these types of roles. But um, yeah, I think the movie is really smart. Like I said, I like the the believe women commentary um i I think that they weave that in really well in a subtle way like i think it's just lurking like right below the surface it never really like explodes out becomes really explicit in a way that or preachy in a way that would not resonate with me um micah monroe i think she's very good in these types of scream queen or scream queen adjacent roles um i I think uh it's it's in her wheelhouse i don't know if she'll ever make that big break that maybe a thought she might have after something like It Follows. Um, But I totally think she has a career in these sort of genre B movies, um, if not more than that, uh, going forward. And so I I look forward to seeing her and stuff like that. Um, And I think this movie would rate even higher for me. I I like it a lot, but it would rate even higher for me if um, not for like the last two or three minutes where I think the plot Takes a turn that I don't think it needed to take. I think it would have been a more, even more interesting movie if it had not done what it decides to do in the last two, two or three minutes. Sounds obviously a I'm lot like the Voyeurs, honestly. It sounds a lot like <laughs> Voyeurs, at least for me. Where it's like, oh, DeVille, obviously, I'm this, not going to you know,
2: say,
0: yeah, I'm not going to say more at this stage because this movie hasn't come out. Barely anyone has is it. Out, but... Is it
2: is it ever scary or is it mostly just like sort of tense? Because I think that's what makes yeah. sort of makes this
0: kind of movie really great, like or sets it really. It apart. is. It is the Roger Ebert bruised forearm movie, in my opinion, as he always used to use that phrase of bruised forearm, where you're grabbing the arm of the person next to you because you're. So I don't know if scary is the right word, but I think it's very suspenseful. I think they there's I think some there's one, like two moments where it's scary. the cinematography. I think is it, like you know it frames things interestingly as if like the camera is the watcher as well, right? So there's all these sort of Shots where Micah Monroe is like framed down a long hallway or something like that, where you get the sense that like you're almost looking in on something um, that maybe you shouldn't be seeing. And so I, I think there's some there's definitely some suspenseful scenes where it's like, you know, you're going to she's going to turn the corner and you don't know what's waiting for her around the corner. Right. That type of stuff, I think, is pretty well done in the movie. And just the, again, the, the central mystery of who is doing the watching. And is there actually anything sinister going on here or is this just people being curious about other people as people are wont to do. Um, and I will, the last thing I will say is that although I'm not hot on the ending, I think the last shot of the movie is on point. Like the the final shot that you see, which is a, a final shot of someone sort of watching another person, but in a context that is very different at, you know, now given the events of the movie, I think is a, a really smart way to drive home the whole, this whole central motif of, Voyeurism and watching and everything. So I, I was glad that even though they didn't totally stick the landing, um, you know, when it faded to black, I it was one of those like last shots where it fades to black and I'm like, ooh, like that was good. Like so, um, definitely check this one out. I, I hope it gets. I don't think it's been picked up yet, but I hope like a uh, Shutter or something like that. I could see them maybe going for this. Um, I, I think it has that sort of again B movie genre type thing. To it but also in the way that many of these genre movies are nowadays it has a commentary beneath the surface that i didn't feel like was too heavy-handed or anything like that so i thought it was a, a cool movie
1: they already blew their uh their high production value
0: horror film buy on resurrection earlier today so right not sure if they'll which all... uh i did i did prefer this movie to resurrection i did see resurrection as well i think scott you were in the other camp but
1: yeah but i i think not honestly i i feel like probably the way we feel about the movies isn't that different from each other we just have them slightly flipped sure. i i really enjoyed the first like 70 minutes of watcher i like very tense i i preferred the tension over the moments that i thought were like again trying to switch gears and do something a little different um it, it ultimately probably is like one of those things where you just can't help yourself but but do what you did at the ending. Um, and, and I didn't I didn't like it myself either. Maybe some people feel differently, but it feels totally different than, than most of the other stuff. Um, most of the rest of the movie honestly. Yeah I, I liked it. Um, it's good, not great in my mind, but there's enough promise in what was made. I mean I thought the craft was really well refined. Yeah like, you know, talk about confident directing if that's a something that's not too overused but like a really clear vision for what chloe akuno wanted her framing of micah monroe to be uh, framing of certain shots um pretty she well, has a
0: definite uh, style yeah yeah
1: but really really uh well edited too and the use of the the score i thought was really strong as well very propulsive
2: um i i it. Like Paul, you I that, 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 right? yeah. No, I haven't seen it. I think the trouble sometimes is when you are within a familiar formula, sometimes like the thing that makes it like that that you try to subvert is sort of diverting away from like sort of the angle you're driving towards for most of the movie. So it's like you're sort of going away from the strengths of the inherent genre you're playing in by right, being different. Yeah. So it's like you're doing something different, but like ultimately does that serve the rest of the movie that you made as well as maybe just like making something more, sometimes something that's like down the middle. Is like well, more, more, yeah. well, I'd more argue that
1: they yeah. then like stop subverting with their ending. And yeah. That, I, that,
0: that's actually the, pro- that's actually the problem. Yeah. Interesting. And if okay. they
1: continued to subvert, then I think I would have liked the film more. Got I, I um, agree with that.
0: Yeah. I don't want to get,
1: I don't want to say too much more, because then at some point, Got if you start watching the movie, you're going to know what we're talking about. Um, yeah.
0: If you start but, watching yeah. the movie. Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: Scott, as, as a lover of watching films, Scott loved a movie about watching something. So, about you know, watching, yeah.
0: That. Yeah. I think all cinephiles will agree, enjoy the watching. Um, all right. Let's uh, move on now to sort of the main couple of movies we wanted to talk about that we all three saw. That we Sharp all stick. three, let's go. Know, again, spoilers. Uh, spoilers really enjoyed. Um, yeah. Yeah. The first one is after Yang, and this is uh, a movie from the uh, Korean filmmaker Koganada. Um His last movie, Columbus, from two thousand seventeen, is a favorite of all three of ours. Um, so I know that we were all three hotly anticipating this one. We've been talking about it for a while, Scott. Uh, you know, back maybe even a couple years ago, I mean, maybe it was just last year. But um, you know, as most anticipated, is it's going to come out. Um, I, I, type think of of I, mean, I think it was a couple years ago i mean it was announced in late too, yeah.
2: 2018 so it's been around yeah. for a yeah, while yeah yeah no i feel
1: like I, this was on like my if not my my most anticipated list my in my honorable mentions
2: in 2020 i think I it was in that. 2020 yeah i think yeah. so it was um, on in my top five in 2019
0: but anyway yeah like <laughs> flex wow. um cool though you <laughs> so would you like to talk i'm about just saying it it's been
2: it's been a long time coming
0: yeah, yeah, it's yeah. been a long journey, yeah, to get here, but uh, we have finally now seen the film. Um, it is a sort of speculative sci-fi movie set in this sort of near future, um, following this family, um, the matriarch and patriarch of the family being Jodie Turner-Smith and Colin Farrell. Um, they have a adopted daughter from China, and um, at the start of the movie, they also have this robot android type companion who is uh who they have also quote unquote adopted as sort of a sibling for their um adopted chinese daughter techno sapien is what the yes techno sapien he goes by the name yang um played by justin min um and sort of you know quickly into the movie uh yang uh malfunctions and basically starts deteriorating breaking down it's kind of becomes clear that he's going to have to be shut down and quote unquote die you know um as much as an android like this a techno sapien like this can um and the movie becomes just a sort of meditation on death and loss and technology and um the way that other people and other non-human objects, people, however, again, however you want to describe it, uh, help us connect to each other and help deepen our relationships with each other. Um, I mean, I think it's a really moving movie. I know you guys want to say more, Paul, I'll start with you.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, just to sort of start, I mean, it like Colin Farrell, like one of my absolute favorite actors. And so like him making a movie with Koganata was like already like a huge deal for me. Um, and the fact that it is in this soft sci-fi area the sort of thing that's in the vein of something like arrival or her i think it takes that kind of similar genre approach in terms of it's not set too far in the future but there is some element of, of a futuristic technology that we might not necessarily have yet um and it yeah and it uses that to tell something that's obviously a very sort of familiar human story but um for me the the thing that was most moving about this movie is just what it says about memories right and how they bring us together as people and how um the things that we remember sometimes and how other people remember us like stays with them and 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 may may live or die with them you know there are things we forget about ourselves that other people remember um, that are big parts of who we are and i think like this movie really burrows into something very like deeply felt that i was not expecting like not quite the angle i was expecting when i sort of started to understand what the direction of the movie was and i think that um you know i shouldn't go too long without mentioning like this movie has maybe the greatest opening credit sequence like in the history of movies or certainly in the conversation um you know there i i I hope i almost hope to see you know this on like TikTok or something if if that's the way that people come and watch the movie you know i think that's an easy sort of thing to potentially go you know quote unquote viral as much as it can in a movie like this right in a movie where it's like this very thoughtful sci-fi drama, any element of that, that will really stand out. Or you could see a clip of it and be like, Oh, this, this is wild. I wonder what this is from. That's it. Um, yeah. And are you saying that the movie not,
1: should debut on TikTok? It just, it just runs on TikTok.
2: If If you just go from the Alexei Navalny TikTok that he made, and then just roll right into this, like just, there you go. The Sundance in a nutshell. Um, but I, I also don't want to, you know, go too long without mentioning there's, there's an original song from Mitski who is a music artist that I, that I greatly enjoy. And, um the song Same. plays a, i think a pretty big part of the movie and that was like um for me one of the great i'm not gonna you know not m- much other context but that's for me that was one of the best parts of the movie is the way the song is used and how much that sort of anchors some of the emotions of some of these characters and i think like that's like maybe my favorite moment of the whole movie is is the song um that and where and how it's using again the placement inside of the movie itself but um you know we can get into some more specifics i think it's interesting to think about um, you know the movie has gone, you know, gone through some sort of production troubles. They had to sort of do reshoots and they had to recast. I know that at one point the mother was supposed to be played by Gulshy Farahani, who's like the female lead in Patterson, and she's in mm-hmm. Oscar Farhadi's About Ellie, and so she's a really great actress. And so I was interested to see like how if that would change sort of the dynamic of the movie. But I think like they're the family relationships are really interesting, and it's not uh, you know for a movie that is as gentle as it is. It's are the family is not necessarily as like seamlessly together and tighten it right there are sort of conflicts they have to deal with and i think the way they respond to those is what really makes the movie special um yeah i mean it's one of those things where it's weird to say this early on in the year but like if this is not in my top five movies of the at the end of the year i will be genuinely shocked um it really moved me and um yeah i mean this is like this is easily the movie the festival for me um it just hits on all these sort of levels and these specific things that i'm interested in and care about and i think Across the board, it's just got such a light touch in so many areas. But um, yeah, I know I sort of said a lot, but Scott Sheldon, what did what did you think of the whole thing?
1: Yeah, I, I was I was gonna sort of like zoom out. I think because you I think you go in on some really interesting points. But yeah, the, the gentleness to me is what's just so quickly striking. Like it's either it is incredibly hard, border bordering on impossible, or just no one is interested in making a gentle movie because these movies just like don't exist. Like I don't feel like I see like I see maybe like one or two movies out of like the 100, 120 movies that I see in a year that I have like this light, gentle touch while also exploring something just like cathartically sad at the same time. Um, it just feels like such a unique ability that Coconut is able to conjure. I think it's true of Columbus. It's certainly true of After Yang. It, it is one of those films that, it, it didn't quite hit me as hard as something like Columbus did Um Maybe, maybe because of the subject matter itself. Not that I am feel myself particularly rel- relatable to Haley Richardson's character in Columbus, but something maybe about the narrative in this feels a little bit more distant than that. Maybe that's the difference. I do want to rewatch it and see if it if it does grow on me even more. It does feel like the kind of movie that um, more layers of the onion sort of peel back as as you spend more and more time with it. It does feel like it's trying to unpack a lot of Uh, frankly just like more themes than columbus was it just feels like there's a lot to unpack in this film one element is 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 family like that's probably the most surface level thing to to take a look at memory is certainly a huge part but also just how we how we treat i don't want to say inferiors but but people different than us right like the, the relationship that you have with with your family and then the relationship you have with family but who someone like yang right who's family but you know, you you bought them, their property, you didn't, you didn't raise them, you didn't take care of them in the same way. Um, I just think there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to unpack. I just adore the performances in this. Like Colin Farrell is amazing. Um, Amazing for me, probably, probably the best performance of the festival, um, if not the best movie of the festival for me. And yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't really, I wouldn't call myself someone who's like, the most intimately familiar with with his filmography but he does have this particular quality to him that i find that when he's able to do films like this where he's not doing something more you know over the top if you will um as much as i do enjoy those over the top performances i think that he can really mine something really special in these quieter quieter roles i think he has a particular pathos to him that um it it's it's a, It feels like an inborn talent. It's
0: not something that you can just train yourself up to. Um, it's almost I really like... Element. I feel like he has a similar thing to, like, Joaquin Phoenix going on again, where they have, like, these really, like, <laughs> juicy scenery-chewing performances. Maybe I'm just thinking because you mentioned her, Paul, but um, they have, like, these scenery-chewing performances. Yeah. Um, you know, like Colin Farrell showing up with, like, a Guy Ritchie movie or something like that, and then, um, you know, obviously Joaquin Phoenix playing the Joker or you know there are other examples too but um and but then when they when they like ease into this sort of you know gentler vibe when they are more warm presences is when i think it's like it brings out their strongest stuff like again we just saw it with joaquin last year and come on come on
2: yeah i think i mean a lot of this is like responding to colin's sort of persona as an actor right um, mm-hmm. but what this really evoked for me um, is I don't know if you, either of you have seen The New World, which is a Terrence Malik movie, not yet. Farrell I Stars, want to. Him, which is like one of my favorite movies. And I think like it taps into that sort of like soft-spoken gentleness that I think like is sort of always a little bit there. Even in the loud performances, there are moments where the movie's not focused on him that you can sort of feel something more beneath the surface that's not sort of the one sort of angle that he's playing. And I think he's really good. I mean, even like it's stuff like In Bruges in Miami Vice. I think he's great, but he's doing a much different level and he sort of torqued up but i think this is him like dialing back and like him trying to control how much his sort of emotions come out and and don't i think it's really great and the the scenes of, of in this movie with with him and his in and their daughter i think are just really some of the most touching stuff that he's done in a long time and like for an actor that i already have a great appreciation for it's so nice to see him in this kind of kind of mold um and one other thing about sort of is on a performance tip now that we're talking about it is um i didn't expect haley richardson to be in this movie sort of as much as she's in this i thought it was going to be like a legit like a 20 second cameo and like yeah. i think it's like the way that she is used in the movie. not that she's like the lead or anything but i think like the way she's used is so smart and she's and i think it uses her her pathos and her care and her charisma in a way that i think like really really takes the movie up another level i think when it sort of brings her into the fold and i think like coconut has got such a great rapport with her um that I think like he just knows how to use her sort of particular brand of acting I think particularly well and I think like also like Richie Coster is really good too as the as the guy who's like aiming to fix up Yang and sort of like has this tension and really all their supporting performances are really interesting I think um, but it's it's a movie that I think is just so well like, I don't know, it's, it's just well designed on all these different levels, and um, it's got a great score, too. It's, I didn't know it had original music from Ryuchi Sakamoto, who's, like, one of my favorite composers as well, and I was like, that's almost, like, another exciting thing for me to discover in the opening credits, and I was like, whoa, I saw the name, and I just got super hyped. Um, but it's just a movie, I think, that is, like, firing on all cylinders,
0: really. Yeah, with uh, with Haley Lou Richardson, I think, like, his movies, Coconut's movies are so, like, inviting, like, the worlds that he builds are so inviting like you just want to be there be part of them and like for me for Haley Richardson just like as a screen presence like she is like one of the most inviting she just has like such a natural warmth to her screen presence I think it's just a perfect blending of filmmaker and performer Um, so I hope that they continue to work together because I think again they complement each other really well but yeah I love this movie Um, I think you guys have you know, summed up a lot of it really well. I wrote this on Letterboxd. Part of, parts of the philosophy of the movie reminded me, like, of of Edward Yang's Yi uh, Yi a little bit, just the mm-hmm. idea about um, other people's sort of, um, other people's perceptions of us helping us to understand our, understand ourselves better. Because you're right that, like, the family relationships uh the family relationship isn't necessarily like idyllic or perfect or anything that we see in the movie but it is after that they they see these memories through yang's eyes that they have a new appreciation for each other and sort of the the special thing that they've built and just the repeated the recurring image of like the photo that they're trying to take i think is um a big um moment that plays into this um And obviously, again, like yee, like the whole idea is the Yang 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 Yang, right? The little boy uh, is going around taking pictures of the back of everyone's head because, you know, he says this is the part of them that they can't see. So um, I think that this is doing that same idea in, in, in the same way. And I like also that there's this sort of disorienting thing that he does where, like, they are experiencing the memories, and we are like, it's like we are experiencing it from three different people's perspectives. So we kind of like get the same moment, like spliced yeah. together, like um, you know, at the same time. And so you're like kind of seeing the same thing three times or something, like right back to back. But they're like things that are just slightly differently about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, because you're realizing you're seeing this memory from three or four different people's memory. Um, so I think that's a really interesting technique that that he uses to just—it's very fluid, like the way that he does it. Again, it's just like back to back, like you're just like thrown right into it, and it's it's easy to understand what's going on. I feel like, um, while well, at the same time, you know, conveying a lot of subtle subtlety to it. So, um, yeah.
2: And in terms, terms like, like it the
0: big name. picture, like sort of of
2: this movie, it's so interesting the trajectory that it's sort of undergone because I think it was something that like. Columbus is the kind of thing right that makes me like what is this director going to do next right and this project's announced and then it premieres at Cannes to kind of a muted response like people I think it seems like people liked it but it didn't seem like it was there was a lot of exuberance for it and now all of a sudden I think at Sundance like people are really falling for it in a way that I was sort of surprised like that's what sort of surprised me the most is the fact that like when it first sort of had its initial sort of run and it can it wasn't something that I don't I didn't see anybody really championing it's like Oh this is like incredible. Now I think people are really starting to love it and I think like it's in you know it's I would say A24 has it and they have a lot of sort of balls to jugg- balls in the air to juggle I think but I think that this will now be somewhat of a priority I think for them to release um, in some sort of meaningful window and not just sort of tossed off the way that sometimes they unfortunately have to, just because they have so many projects, right. And they sort of prioritize certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that this sort of gets, you know, pushed to the front of the line in terms of like one of their big priorities for 2022. Cause I think this could be one of like their big movies that I think like, might not. It's, I don't think it's going to make a ton of money, but I think that a lot of people will really respond to it emotionally in a way that I think like really connect for, for the people that do get to see it.
1: I don't know. I, I don't know if I believe that. I, I do think this is a movie they they probably pawn off in a early
2: summer late spring release to be honest I, I could be wrong but i don't i think it, de- I don't it, it depends i think it's the kind of thing that is sort of like catnip for a certain type of film fan that i think they often cater to so i'm not saying it's going to get like you know the awards push it like it's going to come out in like november but like i could see mm-hmm. it getting a bit of like its own slot almost in the vein of like the farewell or something in that sort of that, But that was like actually supposed to be a big awards maybe for a24 like I, they guess that to be a big yeah, I guess that's movie. true i guess that's true well, I think it became that because of how much of a hit it was, though, partially because of like financially it was successful. And yeah. I think it hit in levels that they weren't necessarily even ready for per, expecting it to. But oh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, that might be And, I, and,
1: and I, I really do think this is like similar to like something like Nine Days last year, which I know you weren't as big of a fan of, Paul, but I felt like it debuted at Sundance in 2020. It received modest reviews, lukewarm reviews. I don't know. And then like came out and like,
2: I feel like people... Generally, like the response to that is like is pretty strong now that it's like actually out. It's also you difficult though, because that was also Oscar eligible in 2020. So like it didn't there was no real motivation, I guess, to put it in any sort of strategic position when it comes to the you know the release calendar. And like I'm not saying this is gonna yeah, be like I, I, 10 I mean, nominations. Was less of a conversation. I,
1: I meant that more or less yeah. of a conversation around like Oscars and stuff yeah. like that, but and more just yeah. around like a movie that debuted at a festival, didn't wasn't received that hotly,
2: came out. And then I think was, but I think this younger. is more of a thing where it's like there is sort of like more of a hype angle to it when you add in like yeah sort of Colin Farrell is a is a pretty big actor I think like bigger than any of the people that were in Nine Days really it's like a director who has kind of like a buzzy indie sure. debut so I think it's a little more on the radar I think than something like Nine Days
0: was but again who knows yeah. we'll I see mean I'd, it I'd like to totally think after
1: Yang is on is on the radar I don't I don't know if I believe that yet yeah but I hope I hope so yeah
0: I was gonna say I feel like. I hate using this phrase, but like Columbus is a movie that has a 24 vibes. Right. So I feel like the a 24, the a (laughs) 24 audience. Right. And Columbus is like, I feel like it's like gained traction over the years. Right. And now is a movie that like, again, in like letterboxd film, Twitter, like a 24 or whatever circles is talked about often. Um, So for whatever that's worth, I think that will be another thing that it has going for it. Um, i do think you'd be forgiven
1: for not knowing that a24 that sorry that columbus wasn't an a24 movie but yeah um i I mean i guess that's what maybe that's why (laughs) 24 went and picked up after yang i don't know exactly yeah (laughs) Um, i don't know if that changes anything though i mean like to me this obviously this is a much more like dramatic and serious and cathartic film that's been like everywhere all at once which i think is that like multiverse movie that's that's an a twenty four film that's coming yeah, out in like a couple yeah, months, like but like, it kind of, like, movie, like this movie, yeah. like kind of feels like it's gonna end up. No, but I think, kind of honestly,
2: I think honestly, I think I think there was a jockeying almost with with when you finish saving the world that that felt like if that really hit, that could have been something that got pushed more, and I think this almost will flip and trade places with that in terms of like when, like how much push it'll get from, because I, I think that's a movie that because people really didn't like it, it's going to sort of not get as much. Oh, of, I was, as I was much talking of about the Michelle Yeoh movie. Yeah.
1: That today, no, 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 I, I,
2: no, I know. But I'm saying like when you finish oh, okay. it, I'm just using that as an example of a movie that I think like they're sort of in conversation because they were both at Sundance. And I think like right, right. it that wasn't in, in a place where like, if that had gone over the way that after Yang did, I think it it might've been pushed sort of in a, yeah. in a bigger way. And now I think they'll, they'll take each other's place in almost yeah yeah and that movie will probably get dumped in the in the summer like the art of self-defense
1: was unfortunately but
0: all right, well, the other quote-unquote big movie I want us to talk about um, is the movie that actually just won the Audience Award uh, in the U.S. Dramatic Competition for and the festival. And was the biggest sell
1: of the festival this year so far. Yeah. At least. yeah,
0: not a surprise. Again, thinking about Coda last year, I think this movie, at least for me, clearly occupied sort of the Coda spot of the crowd pleaser. Um, this is the movie Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Um from uh, writer-director Cooper Rafe, uh, we were all big fans of his 2020 debut, Shithouse. Uh, I think it was either in all of our top tens or close to all of our... I know it was in Paul's and mine, I think. I don't know. I don't think Scott it was in mine. I think it was in my 11th to Yeah, 20, it was close, like, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we loved that movie um, about a college freshman and his fledgling relationship with uh, his r.a basically um that was a, a really encouraging debut and uh he's a very young filmmaker you think he was only 21 22 when he made Shit House. um and now he's 24 uh and he's made cha-cha real smooth which is his follow-up um it is uh about this sort of aimless guy you know the Shithouse was about a guy at the start of his freshman year of college. This is about a guy who's kind of fresh out of college and kind of trying to figure out what he's going to be doing next in his life. His name's Andrew. He's played again by Cooper Rafe. He also starred in in Shithouse. Um, and he's kind of figuring out what the next step uh, is. He's still living with his parents and younger brother. Um, he well, gets parents. a job.
2: Not, I would, not I think that that is important to know. Right, I'm sorry. His, his mother and her stepdad, and her. Yeah. her, her who her, stepdad. I don't know if they're married or not. I'm not sure if they ever say if they're married or not.
0: But I think yeah, anyway. I, I want to say they refer to it's him definitely as implied. at some point. So, yeah. yeah, but uh, he become he gets a job as a party starter at on the local bar slash bot mitf- bot mitzvah scene, um, and through participating in the scene, he meets a. a young mother who's played by Dakota Johnson named Domino um, and her autistic daughter, Lola. Um, And he strikes up a friendship with them, the possibility of a relationship um, with Dakota Johnson's Domino. She is in a relationship of her own, however, with uh, this lawyer in Chicago. Um, And so it just becomes kind of a ensemble dramedy of sorts about this guy's journey really the character of these the journey of these two characters domino and andrew to sort of figure out what do they want from the next stage of their lives they are kind of at a impasse where they need to figure something out um i feel like we've seen a lot of movies about characters in this place recently um which is not a bad thing because i feel like it's definitely relatable place for people of our age group uh for sure. But, uh, guys, what did you think? I'll, I will throw it to Scott first. What did you think about um, Cooper Rafe's follow-up to a movie that we really liked? Did he hit a sophomore slump, or did he keep the magic going here? Uh,
1: he kept the magic going for me. I, I mean, I like this considerably more than Shit House. I, the more that, I mean, I really enjoyed the ride, I think, in Shit House, but the place we landed at the end, and I, this is a common criticism of the film, it's just like, he just didn't know he, he just got, like, a little too high on his own supply of his film and, like, just had to, like, I don't know, sugarcoat the ending a little bit. Um, it was interesting to hear him actually talk about that in the Q&A afterwards because he did bring it up and acknowledge that most people really didn't like the epilogue to, to Shithouse. Um, but he still feels like he wants to meet their characters, his characters, where they're at six months, a year, whatever it is, down the line, which is interesting. But, I mean, I was vibrating, frankly, after I watched this movie. I, I just connected with this film on on a really visceral level um he has like it's that particular kind of of second outing where he's able to understand what really worked in his first film distill that down into a second film and iron out the kinks whether it's the ending whether it's particular minor relationships i mean shithouse is like ultimately the only like all that matters is whether you're like in on this character this freshman um, and this like romantic interest. And I think the thing that I, I kind of like more and more about Cha Cha Real Smooth the more time I think about it and, and spend time with it is that it there is something satisfying about almost every character in the film to me. Like you talk about how and like it is a story or two stories about Andrew, and Andrew and Domino sort of like coming of age at different points in their life. But I think that that extends out to other other people in the film as well. I think that goes for Andrew, not just in his relationship with Domino, but in his relationship with his mother and his relationship with his little brother. I think his his little brother also has a moment sort of separate from the family where he's yes. coming as well, which I found to be really satisfying. It, it's just one of those films where everywhere I look, what I, what I find is something that it, it just really worked for me. And it felt like it wasn't pandering to an audience. It, it was being sort of emotionally authentic Sam Levinson, please don't don't hunt me down. Um, I, that's a, that's like a bit I gotta stop making. I make that joke every single time the word authentic comes yeah, up. Yeah, you right really now. do. <laughs> uh, again, I gotta end that bit in 2022. Um, but yeah, it, it feels really authentic. And then obviously the central story, the one that I, you know, Scott, you were just talking about, can be sort of most relevant to people our age and our situation. Yeah, like absolutely. I mean, again, I I I have did not. I mean, I. I am, I guess, different of the other of us that I didn't really live at home after college for any, any period of time. I mean, you know, Paul, you're still in Hawaii, Scott, you, because of the pandemic, you were sort of forced, mm-hmm, you were forced yeah. home for, for several months. I, I, that never happened to me. But even with that, even, uh, even without that, I, I did feel like there is some, I could still recognize some truth in that experience. And, um, you know, e- even if it, it requires a lot of extrapolation from experiences that I've had, you know. Whatever that might be, it does feel like it connects at a really deep level, level for me. And um, this movie's just a lot of fun. It's hilarious. This film is absolutely hilarious. Um, the stuff at the at the bar mitzvahs, the bat mitzvahs. I mean, I just find that so funny. I mean, and hearing in the Q and A afterwards how some some of the montage shots from them is like literally just Cooper Rafe trying to direct the crowds that he had when he was filming. Like, it's not even like really filming a scene. He's just trying to direct all the all the children on set. It's it's really funny and. And, you know, the the Lola character, which I haven't, which is crazy that I haven't mentioned this character yet. I mean, I just find it like really astounding how good Vanessa Burkhart is in this movie. Um, and the most touching thing in the whole film is like absolutely Cooper Race um, relationship with, with Vanessa Burkhart's character. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find that like just so warm hearted um, and the kind of the kind of crowd pleasing element. I think I mean, that is that is the crowd pleasing element to me that you that sort of connects this to coda last year um this movie's yeah. like a lot sadder than, than coda was in a lot of other respects um but there's just this such warm-hearted um you know inclusive feel to the film for that reason which, which is what coda was praised so much for um and i think that you sort of have the best of both worlds both you get the the good parts the inclusivity of coda um but what i think i find more rewarding in a lot of movies it's just that it, it felt something that was just more emotionally authentic less pandering if that's the right word it, it wasn't trying to tee itself up for these sort of big emotional payoff moment it's just trying to it's like these are the emotions that i feel and this is and this is a scene that that conveys to the to my audience an emotion that i felt in the past something that i've experienced you know whether or not explicitly experiencing this particular scene in this particular moment but this is a, an emotion that i felt and, and i think he, cooper rafe is really talented and has a really special knack um in these sort of like show don't tell ways to convey those emotions to at least people of you know i'll, I'll speak for myself of my
2: age of my experiences of my generation yeah i think i mean it's funny i mean i just i, I won't say what the song is because i think part of the fun of it is sort of having it happen but the needle drop that opens the movie i was like cha-cha oh, cooper, rafe, yeah. no, I'm cooper rafe Cooper Ave just like gets me and sort of like is in my like, in my head almost operating like when he's making these movies, and not saying he's making it for me, but like there's something about his movies that are so specifically on the same wavelength. And I think part of that, and it's an interesting thing that I I sort of talked about this when Shithouse came out, is I think it's interesting that, you know, it makes sense why this is the case, but when you have a sort of like critical discourse and like a canonization of film, like as far as like what is like what are the great films of respective years, right? And these are being done by film critics who like, are and writers and and other people in the industry also, right? But people who are, frankly, like, are pretty old, or like at the at like youngest or like thirty, right? And it makes sense because they have all these experiences that they've gone through and they've seen a, a ton of movies and they have these reference points. But I think what that sort of loses is that there's this specific that Cooper Rafe and you know, there's not a ton of other films like this, but that it does and that there's a wavelength that connects on with people that are of our age. I think that I think is just not going to totally be felt by, I think people who are even like a decade older, that's not that much older, but there is a pretty big gap, I think in terms of like your reference points and your values and your ideas and the things that you really care about. And I think that the way that this interrogates those is really interesting. But like you said, I mean, just on a base level, it's so entertaining from moment to moment. Like it's funny that he obviously he becomes this party starter at, at these bar and bat mitzvahs. And it's like a personification almost of like him as a person. It's like, he is so interested in making sure other people are happy, sometimes even to his own detriment. But I think like, that's why that job is so perfect for him. Right. And it's funny. Cause it's like, that's why he connects to Lola. He doesn't like, he's just trying to like have a good time with her and, in, and include her. And it's, it's funny that like other people don't seem to have this eye for, you know, bringing other people in on their happiness and he sort of bring you know it seems like he's becomes happy by helping other people and i think that that's why some of the the things with his job pursuit sort of are interesting to me in terms of what he tries to pursue and, and doesn't um but it's it's almost like a opposite character of shithouse in that like his character was like almost too un- in the way of like th- for, for college and like loved college too much that like leaving college he's like i don't know what to do and i have no idea where I'm where I'm at I think it does capture that sort of the graduate-esque feeling I think in a way that um these a lot of movies that are like this try to get to but I think this actually does um and we haven't talked about her much but I just love Dakota Johnson so much as an actress I think she's so incredible um you may or may not hear me talking about Dakota Johnson at some point uh future on this podcast who knows we'll see that's a tease for later um but I think that um she has like this Mysterious element that I think she always plays, but like this movie gives her the chance to have real pathos in a in a way that even in her best performances in other movies, like I think she's amazing in a bigger splash and something like Suspiria. But she's not; she's operating in a very specific key, I think. And this gives her like a real depth where it's like she she does have that enigmatic like what is she thinking? Like she's so interesting, I just want to know everything about her. But but she also has these human connections when you when it comes to her daughter that like. Makes her just so much more well rounded than even other characters that I think she's played well. And I think that it's such a good match, sort of, of her in the material. And she brings a maturity to the movie almost as an actress that I think makes the movie better. And like you said, he totally does. Like, he still distills the stuff that makes Shithouse special, but like sort of irons out the stuff that like was sort of like dragging it down a little bit. Even as someone who loved, like, unabashedly loved Shit House, like, obviously, like, I didn't love the ending for that either. But I think like, the choices, not even the specific ending for the for the main characters, but some of the other characters also, like, the way they end in this movie, I think there's a particular interaction with someone, someone's in a car, and someone's, like, standing outside of the car, and I think, like, the choice that they make in that situation, I think, is really moving, and, like, it's not the most obvious note, I think, that to, to hit on, but that stuff is so well executed, and I just think it's, like it feels he, subversive that, that
1: particular moment feels subversive even to like what yes you're totally and it's like
2: do. it's like i know exactly what it's gonna be it doesn't really bother me but like this is gonna be a thing and then it's not that thing and it's so it's just so mature and i like i'm so happy that he like learned from the things that of shithouse that sort of didn't make it sort of a slightly shaggy kind of debut and but he didn't lose the stuff that made it great like the interpersonal stuff like the way that people like the people the way that people argue in his movies is like pretty perfect and like more real life than a lot of movies I've seen about people in their 20s like the way that they argue and the things that they disagree about and like I don't know like this movie just has it and really hits on like pretty much every every cylinder for me and it's just like oh yeah all the characters all the relationships they fit together like this beautiful mosaic that I think they all help the other aspect of the movie sort of become better Um, and a lot of that is like the Dakota Johnson performance like she's just I think she's so incredible in this
0: yeah, the whole ensemble is like a big reason why this is a plus for the over house Um, which yeah. I really, again, I really love. Brad Garrett as a stepdad it. is hilarious. Is objectively just a hilarious cast, <laughs> and he has, and has a great perfect. moment. In so, this movie. He has like Ode- such a great Ode- moment in this movie. Ode- yeah. Odea Rush, we didn't mention. He oh, plays love. like his old high She's- school friend. They have a really nice scene together. Yeah, yeah, uh, the sex scene.
1: Yeah, I agree. Great scene together.
0: No, well, that's not well. <laughs> no, I'm post kidding. that. I'm kidding.
1: Uh, I'm just messing with you.
0: Also, that was one of the funniest parts of the movie, though, to me, the post that when uh, she's asking him, like, oh, did you, you know, find me attractive in high school or whatever? And he says, you know, of course, everybody did or whatever. I just thought you were so, like, distant, like it wasn't even attainable or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, well, I didn't think you were attractive. Well, actually, I didn't ask, but uh, (laughs) it's it's his delivery. Like his delivery really makes some of the jokes uh, in my opinion. I think he he has really good uh, comedic timing and everything. Um, I think we've yet to see him really stretch his range that much as an actor. I don't know you know where he necessarily goes as an actor moving forward if there's always going to be a place for him in his movies. but um yeah. he didn't want to play this part um many times at least according
1: to yeah. the q and a, he didn't want to play this part, which I thought was interesting. but
0: but yeah, so the ensemble, it, you know, is is big because I think everyone gets their little moments again, even down to the stepdad, even down to Brad Garrett, even down to Odi, Odea Rush, even Evan you know, Asante, the little dude, brother, the brother, he's really good. Yeah, like, uh-huh. really good. <laughs> and yeah, just just everybody. Um, so it's one of those movies where everybody gets their moment, like I said, and everybody is like a good person, right? Even the one character that they set up dakota johnson's fiance, right as you think he's going to be like a you know the d-bag foil to this whole relationship even he has like a little face turn at the end which i think is unexpected it's a nice moment again i think uh, kindness is like the default setting for most of these people and they all like screw up at various times in the movie um because they're human but um you know otherwise i okay there's one little kid i'm Scott yeah. maybe wants to say that this one little kid is a. I thought about I thought about that we'll leave it. But you know what I mean. Every major character uh he gets a zoo is a that kid gets is a due. good person. And I like movies like that. That those are some of my favorite movies where um everyone is just essentially a kind person. Uh, and again, they have their moments. Again, Andrew has has a you know moment where he gets super moody in this movie and and he lashes out at his brother and everything. So it's not like just nonstop super twee good vibes the whole time. Um, it's <laughs> believable. It's realistic. Um, yeah. But the movie also feels like it is made by a twenty four year old in a way that I like. It is not like a you know, Paul Thomas Anderson making Boogie Nights, right, where it's like, holy crap, how did a 26-year-old make this movie? Um, It is, it it is believably sort of hard on, hard on your sleeve, maybe, like, yes, he, he, he matures and grows in a way that I think makes this a, a stronger film than his debut, but there's still, like, an emotional forthrightness about everything that is going on here that you would not expect to see from an older filmmaker this is somebody who is still very much like in touch with these feelings and doesn't know how to express them other than just by expressing them if and he writes teenagers uh, like sense.
2: teenagers you know he doesn't write teenagers yeah. like like a 50 year old man long, not, writing a teenager yeah yeah um yeah. it's so crazy that he's yeah i mean I will say, you said he's 24. I know he's 23 because I know he's younger than me. And that will always bother oh, okay. me. But this guy is younger than me. And he's, he's on his second feature film. And it's, you know, um, it'll be interesting to see if this does have a Coda-like impact, right? Like, because it's, feel it's like the same mold almost, right? Like, it's, it is like this very feel-good sort of coming of age-ish, you know, romance-ish movie where it's acquired by Apple for like, not quite the same price tag, but like the big, you know, the big purchase of the festival. And it's like, I wonder if it will, hit the way that that did because i do think it's a insane crowd pleaser that i just like this is the sort of, yeah. sort of thing i would recommend to people again who don't even like movies that much but like why would you not like i can't imagine a person like disliking this really i mean i'm sure there are any older people that do but
0: yeah yeah even though i really liked coda like this movie has the special sauce that i felt like coda was mentioning like i think missing i think coda is by the numbers for the most part i think again for reasons that we've danced around because we don't want to really get into it here but i think this movie is still a crowd pleaser is still yes incredibly satisfying for even the conventional moviegoer while still going in directions that depart from you know how you would expect this movie to go um and i think it's it's all the better for that Uh, again i I think i was uh, you know again i was enjoying the movie so much like this was the last movie that i watched for the festival i was like I watched Meet Me in the Bathroom, which was just a kind of fine, pretty good documentary. It was like 9.30. I was like, okay, well, I gotta watch this now. I mean, I'm excited about the movie, but like it's six movies, you know, it's been a short period of time. You know, I was I was reaching burnout stage, and just within like ten minutes, I was in. Like, I think I even sent Scott a message and was like, "I'm obsessed already." Um, Yeah, I think that was like right when I right when I had
1: finished the film, I was like, "I'm dropping five stars on this."
0: Yeah, Uh, I was like, "Yeah, this this is uh, this is going to be really good." So I was enjoying it so much, but then of course I'm thinking in the back of my head about that ending of Shithouse, and like. Okay, what are they gonna do here, right? Like, I, I think I know oh, how I, I it's feel. It's funny. Like-
2: In the moment, I didn't really think about that, but yeah. I guess
0: like now it makes sense. That, I thought so that your brain yeah. would go there. Well, yeah. again, it's a similar s- setup relationship where I'm sitting there, like I know how what I feel like this this relationship needs to go. I know where I feel like it needs to go if the movie wants to be re- realistic. um and it, it went there um, and just, and the way that it went there too, I felt like was just really satisfying and yeah, very funny. I'm not somebody who laughs a whole lot like out loud in movies, but I was laughing out loud at various points in this movie, just, you know, watching it in my apartment. So, um, Absolutely loved it. Uh, I feel the same way uh as Paul did about After Yang. And I'm not obviously After Yang I think has strong top ten potential as well. But this movie is gonna be in my top ten at, at the end of the year. Like there's just kind of no denying it for me. I know I know it I even hate I almost even hate just like thinking that far ahead and talking that far ahead. Um mm-hmm. when it's, you know february but it's just one
2: of those movies that even even beyond the whole top 10 of it all like i know like this is a phrase that i've started using recently but just a movie that i i am happy to know will be in my life for a long time and i think like i will be able to come back to and i think it'll mean maybe different things at different points like certainly for me like again more than even you two like now that you guys are sort of living on your own right like i'm still living with my parents in a similar not quite in the same situation as as the character in the movie but i think like that aspect of it too, I wonder how that will change over time, but I think it does capture that specific feeling of like loving your family, but it, there are some difficulties, right, to overcome, I think, in certain areas, and um, and that's like, that's what makes his, the character tension of, of him interesting, it's like he loves his family, but like he sort of need, knows he needs to go on his own, and I think like that stuff all sort of makes it kind of even more interesting that maybe it could have just been if it was just him, you know, living in some apartment or, you know, whatever, um, I think it, it has another sort of level to it. It's it's definitely one of those movies like a book smart was in
1: 2019. I I feel like nine days and was that for me last year It's like I want to go show this movie to like everyone that I can convince to watch it. Uh, maybe the harder they fall is a better example last year than, than nine days. But like if someone comes over and I have this like this movie like comes up in my mind at all, I'm like yeah, you want to watch? You want to sit down for a hundred <laughs> minutes and and yeah.
0: uh, well, I won't. I won't definitely going to watch, it watch a movie a few more. Times. A few more times before the end of the year, for sure. It, it I, it definitely has rewatched. It, it was one of those things where I was thinking about I was like, if I had had a 24-hour window to watch this instead of a five-hour window, I might have watched it again, like, the next night after starting. Like, you know, well, I, I definitely I fire, I fired up the night. first, like, 15 minutes ago. I was, so I was about to say this. Yeah.
1: I, I, So I was originally, so I watched this on Tuesday night, which I think is when all of us watched it, probably. Uh, no, you watched it on the premiere, or did you watch it on the
2: premiere, Paul? Or did you watch it? No, on the no, no, no. I okay. watched it. No, I watched the second screening, but I did. I, I honestly watched it later than you guys because I watched it basically mm-hmm. Wednesday morning. Ish. It was like yeah. morning for us. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah. Well, like so, I was originally going to purchase another ticket and watch another movie, like of whatever was left over. And after I watched it, I'm like, do I just watch this movie again? Right now? <laughs> um, because you have five hours after after you start the film to watch it again. And I was really close, but I just decided to bask in the afterglow um, of what I would already seen and and left it at that. But yeah, it's absolutely that kind of movie. Um, I have m- plenty of more thoughts about it that I don't know if we'll ever do like a full podcast episode about it since we've talked about it so much here already. But yeah. um, I mean, Dakota Johnson, who I didn't really talk about at all. Just wonderful. To seg- Can I segue us out of out of this and talk about other
0: another yeah. movie really fast? Yeah, well, I want to say really quickly that okay, go uh, ahead. Go ahead. the one thing I do think it shares with Coda that I am fully mm-hmm. on board with is... The representation thing, and we, you know, we already mentioned her, but um, Vanessa yeah. Berg Bur- as Lola guess, was yeah. phenomenal, um, and just again important to have an actual autistic actress playing that role. I mean, it, that should go without saying, yeah. but like, it, you know, un- unfortunately, that. Hasn't I'm glad. I'm again. glad it was not an
2: I am Sam. Situation. If anyone has seen the yeah. Sean Penn starring <laughs> vehicle from the early two thousands, in which
0: yeah, yeah. Sean Penn but, made some comments. By the way, in the last <laughs> days, that people should not check out. But yeah,
1: well, why'd you bring it up then?
0: Some <laughs> real Jack Holden. Some real Jack esque comments. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we'll
1: leave it at that. Um, <laughs> but it, so interesting that you mentioned Vesperger. I mean Dakota Johnson, the Peanut Butter Falcon. This movie interesting. Um, choices are consistent choices Mm -hmm. there, and working with yeah with you know autistic i guess down syndrome in the case of the peanut butter falcon yeah yeah um yeah yeah here in this one but one of the things that i just find utterly fascinating about dakota johnson is like the kind of movie she's interested in making right now i mean you look at the lost daughter last year you look at this film and then you look at am i okay which is another film that i saw at the festival that yeah, I feel like people did not like that movie. I liked that movie. I I, I didn't yeah. really feel like people I liked it, it that much. I thought it was it it was better than than a lot of reviews that I was reading um, after it debuted. And and she's playing, you know, another role of a you know early 30s character who essentially doesn't have her life together. And that she's that way when she's playing Nina in The Lost Daughter. She's certainly that way in Cha Cha Real Smooth in terms of her you know commitment in terms of wanting to be ma- like wanting the the pros of being married, but it's not sure if she's ready to commit to that. And, and then with it, am I okay? Like she doesn't really, she hasn't really come to terms with her sexuality. Um, it doesn't really have to do with that. And, and I think that it's really interesting that she's interested in, in portraying these 30 something women characters in films that are like very against stereotypes for women in film. She really wants to, I think mine as deep as she can into to reveal like, authentic stories about women, which are not the traditional ones that have been portrayed on screen. And I think she's phenomenal at doing that. Like we talked about Colin Farrell earlier, who's in, has a real pathos. And I mentioned he had, I thought he had a real pathos to his, to his soft performances. And she's giving very soft performances in both of these, these films. Like she's not a very gregarious character in in either cha-cha real smooth or am I Okay. And I think she's able to really tap into something just like really like it, I'm just trying to imagine like for people as as I feel like I relate to the emotional connections that Cooper Rafe is making in this movie that I can't help but feel but like there have to be people out there who are watching Dakota Johnson in these movies and being like, holy shit, I've never seen a character like this on screen before and connecting with her characters in that way. And I think that's like absolutely astounding. And and frankly, just like not being talked about enough in terms of the project she's choosing and the work that she's doing. I mean, there's, there's maybe there's time for, for those conversations to be had as, as these movies get wider releases. But I think that it's one, it's awesome that these, that these experiences and these characters are being sort of unveiled on screen. And, And two, it's like Dakota Johnson's doing them. Like she's really, really good at tapping into those characters and, and showing these emotions. And, I just can't, as a last aside, because I know Paul wants to talk about, I think you were referencing you wanted to talk about, am I okay uh, earlier as well? Or maybe I, a I little, right. a little bit, a little bit. Well, I, I just want to think Dakota, i sorry, you finished your point. We'll yeah. 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 It, it, I just <laughs> feel like that um, she's able to sort of, to I, I'll, say, I'll put that aside and say in the Q and A, so there was this consistent theme where she was being asked how she prepared for these roles. And it feels like they're just like setting her up to get killed. Cause like, you know, in Cha-Cha Real Smooth, <laughs> to Real Smooth, like, she's married, like, like you know, she, like, she's she's been, she is in that relationship already, like, and she's not a mother, like, she doesn't really connect with this character, like, she's not, um, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, she's not gay, she's not a lesbian, um, and with, am I okay, and she's being like, how do you prepare for this, and it's just like, what a fucking stupid question to, to ask me, how she prepares, how she prepares for these roles, when, like, it just feels like you're setting her up to, like, look like an idiot, and, like, yeah. like she's someone who's like not it's just like a weird response um i i didn't actually remember who asked those questions but it just feels like such like the classic like white male question to like dakota johnson playing these like very inclusive roles and and it makes me wonder if like you know those are the people watching this movie right now i hope this this film reaches other audiences
2: that it'll connect more strongly with th- with those particular characters but paul go ahead I, yeah i mean the biggest thing about dakota johnson that i just am, have been thinking about a lot is it feels like like there's a whole universe beneath like her like simple wry smile, like the, her like yeah. sort of soft smile that I think she does in a lot of these movies where it's like, it just feels like there's, there's so much going on there and like s- s- enough of it's coming through that you can tell that, that it's there, but like it doesn't all come out in a way that's so obvious. And I'm, like, as a performer, I just think, yeah, she's so exemplary at that. And yeah, am I okay? The biggest thing is I just think the two leads are like so great. Like I think Sonoya Mizuno is also really, really good in that movie. And like, I think the writing lets them down at some points where it feels a little, like, sure. like not human necessarily, maybe. It feels a little screenwritery. It also feels, um, like, a little incomplete, frankly, the story does. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. But I think, like, their chemistry is so excellent. And, like, her and Dakota Johnson are both just people I just find fascinating to watch on screen and just, like, love watching sort of their dynamic. I mean, I think, like, just to mention I'm OK a little bit, I mean, um, Molly Gordon, I think, is pretty, pretty incredible as, like, this really wild like co-worker of, of Sonoya Mizuno's that is just like it's not doing the same kind of thing but has sort of the energy of Billy Lord in Booksmart in terms of like she is like just this insane way, way like almost in a different universe I think so but she like but she's almost as entertaining for me and that she just like lives in this totally different universe and like but exists around these people and it's just like is this wild and i think like she's she's a fun a fun screen presence and i think like in that movie she's she's really well um dialed to like be sort of the like to make everyone else look more human <laughs> more normal almost in a way um but the, the movie is not is not perfect and i think like it doesn't always go in the in the direction that i think is most compelling but i think like the characters that they're playing are really interesting, and their relationship I really like watching. So that's a movie that I, I mean, thought there, was like. There, more there's a scene early on great. where she's like first coming there, where Dakota Johnson's character is coming out
1: to Sonoya Mizuno. Yeah. That I was just like, whoa, like, no yeah. that's that's pretty intense.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um I, I think on the Dakota Johnson point, she's doing the Christian. She's doing Christian Sewer, right? Like she was, was in yeah, this, I, yeah, 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 franchise, right? That. Is kind of maligned. I, think. I mean, it's hilarious because uh,
2: she's in the franchise that is literally
0: the because mm-hmm. it be created as a fan, fan fiction, fiction of the right, franchise yeah.
2: that Kristen Stewart was made popular uh-huh. from.
0: It is, but then you know, Kristen, yeah, Kristen Stewart went on to do like freaking Olivier Assayas movies, right? Like she was in Personal Shopper and yeah. Claus of Maria and all this stuff, and that feels like a but Dakota Johnson not doing similar, that, just though. making choices, yeah, but but you know, they are making very intentional choices about what they want to do with their career. I mean, yeah. I think
2: Dakota, Dakota Johnson working with Luca Guadagnino twice does feel like Kristen Stewart That's working true, with yeah. Olivier Assayas. It is very similar, I think, in terms of, like, sort of non-American directors making sort of art house dramas and, and sort of genre movies to, and using them as, like, the main figure um, can, of intrigue. He was in more them. mainstream because of Call Me By Your Name, maybe, but, like, it's tough, well, cause she worked. Work. Well, it's tough because she worked with him before that, so I think it's it That's is true. a similar sort of
0: thing. That's fair. Yeah. um, But I think it's yeah, it's cool to see actresses going down this path and not getting stuck in franchise hell or, you know, letting these underwhelming, you know, big budget movies or whatever, kill their careers. And they're actually practicing self-care, right, and choosing the projects that they want to be in, it seems like. So,
1: I mean, I think one of the huge uh, luxuries that Dakota has is that. I mean, she's producing all of these movies, right? Like she's mm. a I mean, at this point, she is a it seems like a well frankly,
2: one of her luxuries is like she is from both Dakota, she's she's successful Jones, Hollywood yeah. parents, you know, like people yeah, that are I was so gonna say so nepotism, she has yeah. A sway that like other people might not have. and I think like nepotism usually a bad thing, but sometimes it, it bears fruit. And I think this is an example of like someone who it seemed like at first, honestly, like when I saw the first fifty shades, I was like she's kind of rough. Like she's not great in this. And like, it's interesting to see like, Oh, there is more behind that. And like, it wasn't just like, because of this, like she actually is like an incredibly talented and like, she's really coming into her own, I think as a performer in a way that's like really cool to see happen kind of in real time. Yeah. I, I
0: agree. All right. Well, that's the kind of the specific movies I wanted to talk about. Uh, Before we wrap up, I, I did just want to give you guys an opportunity. If you want to just do like quick hitters of everything else that you saw, um, I guess maybe I'll go first because I think I watched the fewest um, sure. number of movies, but I also watched this movie Fresh, which is going to be distributed by Searchlight. It's coming to Hulu and everything soon. Um, it's a horror movie starring Daisy Edgar Jones and Sebastian Stan. Um, decent movie about sort of uh, millennial dating. And she is you know disillusioned with dating apps, meets this guy at the grocery store, It turn sinister um i think the central metaphor of the movie is pretty surface level um but the movie really goes for it it's pretty gnarly so i appreciated that um and it's worth giving a shot when it comes out um resurrection i mentioned uh andrew Siemens, uh, his latest film um rebecca hall just doing elite work as always Um, another Another movie like Fresh, Watcher, and This are all like movies about women getting like psychologically tortured in their own way. (laughs) Um, And that can wear on you a little bit. And this is the third one that I watched. So maybe it's just diminishing returns at that point. Um, But again, a wild movie. This is a wild movie. Uh, You really don't expect where this movie is going in the third act. Basically, Rebecca Hall plays a woman who thinks she has it all together um, and then yeah, this shadowy figure from her past played by Tim Roth shows up and weird things ensue. The only other thing I will add is that Rebecca Hall has an eight-minute monologue, uncut, that just sits on her face in this movie that is just absolutely spellbinding, amazing acting. Um, so that was a cool movie. I also uh, saw Meet Me in the Bathroom, which I mentioned, a um, documentary about the early 2000s New York indie rock scene, um, You know, focusing on the bands you would expect to see the Strokes, the Yeah, yeah Yeahs, Interpol, um, the Moldy Peaches. Um, as a fan of that era of music, I, enj- I definitely enjoyed all the archival footage. It's The whole movie is archi- archival footage. Um, so I appreciated that um, just because I liked the music. It was cool to get to see like these bands getting their start in these intimate environments and everything. Um, I don't know that the rest of the documentary is that successful if you are – not a, especially if you're not a fan of the narration of- straight up terrible dude. like no you idea don't know who's, who's talking, you, know, who's talking. Yeah. you
2: never know who's talking and so like what they're saying it's like i was this and and i was like i don't know who, who's who's saying like 95 i was like maybe i recognize like karen o's voice sometime but a lot of the time yeah. like, that, that's the thing that was maddening is it has this cool footage but like the narration is like, and,
0: oh, terribly, and i don't know terribly
2: that it- placed
0: Yes, the structure just kind of doesn't exist, really, uh, to the movie. Like, yeah, I don't really know, you know. It, it starts to get it somewhere more interesting, and then it's, and then it's but, like,
2: let's go somewhere else, actually. Like, as soon as it starts to get into something Yeah, a
0: it doesn't really explore anything that deep. Like, no. it's an unfair comparison, I think, to compare it to something like Summer of Soul, which we had last year. But that, to me, was like... I think the, the Velvet Underground would be the better comparison, right? Yeah, I was say, but... Really good, though.
1: Well, not in terms of quality, I'm saying in terms yeah, of yeah, the yeah. kind of movie
0: yeah prime example of a music doc that perfectly blends like the historical and social context with the actual music stuff and i don't think that they really did on a formal level i mean it literally does it
2: on a formal level like velvet underground
0: like puts them
2: together so it's like you have both pieces yeah
0: yeah uh so that you know was was a, a downside but I, it's a, enjoyable for somebody who's a fan of this era of music for sure. And then the last movie was, Sharp, was Sharpstick, which absolutely sucked. Yeah. Uh, this is Lena <laughs> uh, it's not that comeback, bad. I guess. We, we should have cleared that out girls. to make a whole pod just for this. Um, we, yeah, hey, we can a turn a this one of off age. and record
1: another one. We can record a your
0: <laughs> pod. It's a coming of age movie that I guess is supposed to be about female empowerment, um, which is really You kind guess? Of funny it is it definitely
1: supposed to be about female <laughs> empowerment. That is well, definitely no, what the I, film it, is supposed it, to
0: be about. Yeah, well it completely bungled that is what I'm saying because it made oh, its, as a
1: female, make, you are speak, speaking it bungled it. Yeah.
0: Yes, I am. Uh, because it made its its character a stunted child. So um, much mud for need a movie to, that Scott Shelton did, didn't even love, which is hilarious. No, it's my least favorite we festival, to, but <laughs> well, so I, I guess we won't hear from Scott either, since apparently females can only weigh in on this movie. But um <laughs> but no, I don't have to be a female to know that. It is not empowering to portray your main character who's 26 years old as a stunted child who doesn't know anything about this world. It was embarrassing what they did to Christine for Seth's character in this movie, Um, Sarah Jo. I hated all of the characters in this movie. I think they're all terrible people, to be honest with you. I don't, I, it's supposed to be sex positive, but then like take some weird turns in the last third, in the third act that really makes me question what, whether it was supposed to be or not. I, this movie is an absolute disaster and don't watch it ever. That was my Sundance. <laughs> um, Oof, let's go to Scott wow. next.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, look, sure, I, I found Sharpstick sharp to be pretty funny. I do think that it is about a female empowerment. I think your mileage is going to vary about how empowering you think that it that it is to you um there are different kinds of experiences that women have um some people might relate to this some people might not i don't know um i thought it was fine john i thought john bernthal was hilarious scott speedman also very funny um in this movie in a pretty minor role uh i could i was really hoping for more from taylor page and jennifer jason lee i didn't particular. did not like their characters um but very much in that in, in their in their particular roles i found them pretty annoying um But and then I didn't even realize it was Lena Dunham in the role that she plays in this movie at first. Yeah.
2: Um, Same thing as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's like, whoa. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I (laughs) mean, it's
1: even more so though. Like way, (laughs) way even more so um, in in this movie. And then I was like, I know Lena Dunham's in this movie, and I think this is like after like 15 minutes of like seeing her character, I'm like, I think this is her. Um, At this point, yeah. Uh, The movie was was fine at best um, for me, uh, probably my least favorite of the festival second chance. Um, you know, this is a documentary about the creator of sort of modern body armor. Uh, and I thought it was fascinating. It, it, it had this like weird thing where like it had a lot of interviews with the guy, just like asking very direct questions about all this controversy that has surrounded him for 20 plus years, um, in this industry and in spite of that it feels like it isn't able to really milk its subject matter for all it's worth and it just feels like it left a lot on the table somehow for me and i don't really i can't really put my finger on exactly what what that was um the best parts of the movie actually have nothing to do um directly with him there's a, a whole side story about someone who is connected to to the to the main um character in in the documentary but is ultimately sort of a, a subplot that feels like it gets relegated and ends up being the most, I think, emotionally resonant <clears throat> moment in the film. Um felt like it had a lot of potential, but didn't really deliver on it ultimately eight, nine, two, which is Michael K. Williams sort of last role before he passed away last year. Um, th- this is like the, what the, the dour Sundance movie. Like this is like my dour Sundance movie that I watched. Um, Really was, I mean, it's unfair to hope that this was going to be as good as Fruitvale Station, which is probably my favorite movie of this subgenre and one that I was just so immediately taken with when I first saw it back in 2013 or whenever that film was. Um, And I feel like the performance is is as intense, um, but the dimensionality that the film tries to explore is not nearly as robust as I feel like Fruitvale Station or the approach that Fruitvale Station took in terms of really putting um, Oscar's life on display in the last day of his life. I thought that was a lot more powerful emotionally um, than 892 was. I think that it sets up all these bit like subplots with different parts of of the police force and and, and the different factions of, of law enforcement that are that are a part of um, the bank robbery. I haven't even talked about it yesterday. So true story about Brian Brown Easley's um, final day before he died, where he uh, t- held up a bank to sort of send a message and, and um, try to right a wrong that the Veterans Administration had done by withholding payment of his disability checks based on what ultimately, and this is just like a throwaway line at the end of the movie, where they just sort of throw in that like, the college that had said that he had defaulted on payments had like was a case of mistaken identity, and that they should not have been withholding his. It pay- just completely thrown away. It's in, a clerical like error. Five yeah. second scene, Crazy. yeah. And I'm just like, what? Like, what on earth? And and that's sort of the flavor that I feel like I get from everything that's not the central narrative that's happening inside the bank. I mean, Michael Don- or, Sorry, not my Jeffrey Donovan plays this this character who's a captain in the police force. I don't know what his rank yeah. was. But just like it feels it like he's like gonna Jeffrey play some, Yeah, it plays but it feels like it's gonna have some important role in the movie. No, just not not at all.
2: Um feels it's like, like a, non- a nonsensical out. obstacle from Michael K. Williams. That like for no real doesn't that's not really any yeah, particular no direction, payoff. it's just like it's there. Yeah, yeah, no payoff whatsoever. I, I feel like Connie
1: Britton I thought was gonna have a, a bigger role. Nope. don't know why you even cast Connie Britton in this at all. No reason to have. Um yeah, that, that's just sort of how it went. But I did like John Boyega, who plays uh, Brown easily. Um, and then, I mean, Michael Kenneth K. Williams, not, not a very major role, like not a not a main supporting role, I
2: wouldn't say. It, it really is only an ultimate, like a 20, 20, I
1: mean, he's like 20, 25 minutes. Like he doesn't have that yeah, much it's time. Pretty,
2: I mean, he's a pretty sizable supporting role, though, I think. Like it's, I think it's, it's like the show, sort of showcase performance, sort of, it's like structured around him being like coming in and being like impactful in the movie, I think.
1: Yeah, I do, I do think that the bigger supporting role for me was was it i uh oh, i'm mixing them up is it olivia washington
2: nicole bahari you mean the
1: one who works yeah. at the bank yeah, yeah, yeah. the like manager
2: is nicole bahari yeah. yeah 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 nicole bahari like
1: that felt like to me was the stronger or sorry the the more i would say that's actually the more showy supporting role because i feel like that is like the character that's that you could have as like a filmmaker you could have used to to really dive deeper into mm-hmm. i think the broader black experience if you will or like there's obviously this like really obvious um, text that you can read about this is that like, there's this injustice that was done to Brian Brown Easley, But like, I felt like that character that Nicole Beharry character could have been used to, e- to even greater effect to show like the broader yeah. ramifications on the community. They sort of do it, but not in a way that I felt um, that really could have taken it to its ultimate conclusion. Um, yeah. 892. Good. Another good, but not great movie. I think for me, it had really good parts but um, didn't add up to something that was as an, as inspiring. I uh, talked about the, I uh, talked about Watcher already, About my bit, uh, dual, which is, um, mm-hmm. I think that's probably, well, no, I guess there's also one more after this, but dual Riley Stearns, uh, sophomore film, second film, I believe. No third, no third. Okay. Third film. No. I stand corrected. Um, honestly thought the, I, I mean, I made this joke before when I first saw this. Movie, and now it's like, this th- film looked a lot like Swan song to me. Which is not a movie that I've seen yet, but it's a movie that I want to see. That's Marshall Ali, last year, Apple TV Plus original film with Glenn Close and a few others about a man who has a terminal diagnosis and and wants to and is given the opportunity to clone himself, um, and and replace him after he dies. This film sort of has like the same setup. You know, Karen Gillan gets this terminal diagnosis, and uh, in this sort of near future dystopia or utopia, depending on, I guess, how you look at it. (laughs) Um, I'm kidding. (laughs) Dystopia Uh, um, is given the option to clone herself to replace her once she passes away. So her loved ones don't have to suffer. And turns out she is going to be fine uh, a few months later. And uh, the hook of the film is that uh, in the event where this happens, the original and the duplicate must fight to the death um, to I guess see who gets to live because now the clone has uh, clone rights or human rights in this film. I guess so. Yeah, I, I thought this movie was really good at times. There's a couple scenes in this. I really like Aaron Paul as sort of this kind of enigmatic, sort of quirky um, personal fitness instructor turned like battle to the death instructor for Karen Gillen. Um, And there's a, there's an, there's a scene in. On a, on a playground in this film where Karen Gillan gets to play uh, opposite herself, uh, opposite her clone, which I think is probably the most effective scene in the movie for me. Uh, felt the ending wasn't quite what I wanted. Um, wasn't I honestly wasn't that surprised. That's where it went. And I felt like it. I even saw it coming to an extent, especially after in the scene where it becomes a little bit more obvious that that's going to happen. It's like dropping the breadcrumbs for that a little bit more. I was like, this is totally going to happen. And it did, and I didn't find that satisfying personally, um, which is fine. Not every ending has to be satisfying, but it did take a little of the shine off of it for me. Um, that's dual. That's um, it, it's it's definitely worth checking out. It's also really, um, I mean, like every movie that I saw at Sunday, it feels like it was under 100 minutes. I feel like the longest movie yeah. that I saw was was Cha Cha Real Smooth, maybe. Um, which didn't feel like 107 minutes after Yang, I think is a uh, two hours like on the uh, on the nose, right? Oh, it is okay. Then after Yang, well, so. well, yeah. My two favorite movies of the festival were The Longest ones, <laughs> so maybe some of these other movies should have been a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, talked about Resurrection, uh, it, propulsive film, um, really thumping craft. Uh, the score is really good. The cinematography um, it feels like a much higher production value than you'd expect a film um, on paper like this to have. And I, I really liked it, actually. Um, I liked it more than, than, than Scott did. it Rebecca Hall's great. The, the, the scene that he talked about where she's monologuing um, into the camera for like eight minutes and as like the shadows like darken over her face. It's like probably not the best example of like how you want to make a movie in terms of her just telling you everything as opposed to, to showing a lot of stuff. But um, it's quite a feat of monologuing um, and it has just so much intensity to it. Uh, Also backgrounded with like some pretty hilarious comedy around this person getting like way more information than she wanted after she asked Rebecca Hall a question. Um, But uh, funny nonetheless, absolutely wild in the final act. Just crazy final act in this movie. Tim Roth is like appropriately sinister for what you'd expect Tim Roth to be at this point. But I liked it overall. Really liked um, Rebecca Hall's daughter in this, who's played by – Scott, help me out here –
0: Grace Kaufman is going to be starring in uh, *The Sky Is Everywhere*, which is the new Josephine Decker movie that's coming out in a couple of weeks. That's she's that's right. the lead role in that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, really, really liked what I saw. From she was her. good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's *Resurrection* for me. Also, think it's totally worth checking out. And uh, you know, just, just, just don't worry about it in the final act. It's going to get crazy. Um, yeah. And then the last movie that I haven't just talked go about. With are, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah is Fire of Love, which was probably one of my most anticipated going in. I mean, besides like the Cha-Cha Real Smooth and After Yang, which I felt were much more known quantities for me, being more familiar with the filmmakers, Fire of Love was a really um, anticipated movie about two volcanologists who sort of bonded and connected over their shared love of volcanoes in
2: like the early 70s? Late 60s, early 70s, I think? They They met in the late 60s and they married in 70 and then they okay yeah, yeah a relationship yeah. that progressed
1: gotcha yeah um and it sort of chronicles their life uh katia and maurice Kraft are their two names uh european volcanologists who ultimately perished in 1991 at an eruption in a volcano eruption in japan and i just this is a film i loved and i, I liked uh and certain parts even loved i mean some of the cinematography or some of the fo- i shouldn't even call it cinematography some of the footage in this of erupting volcanoes is unbelievable. I mean, absolutely stunning footage in this, in this documentary. I do think that like, I mean, I don't know what the limitations were about like what footage they had and what story they were trying to tell. I don't think that it tells a very good story. Honestly, I feel like it was sort of pitched as this like star crossed love story, like a love story between people and and a love story of two people with volcanoes. And I feel like you only get one of those stories. And I think that's their love for volcanoes. Um, I don't think you actually get much of a love story between the two of them. And, and that's why I found the first third of the film to be pretty uninspiring um, when it's really sort of just walking you through at a very bare bones level, like how they met, different like ver- like myths about how they met. They go like three different stories about how they met for the person. time. like, yeah. why are you even doing this? Is this? It makes no sense whatsoever why you're even doing this, like especially because they, they barely spend any time um, on their relationship, frankly, after. It, it, it's like injected in moments later on in the film as opposed to actually explore it as this sort of like grand love story sort of contextualized around volcanoes, which I think has fascinating potential, but is really only effectively able to tell one of those stories. But it's it more that like the, just the sheer footage of volcanoes in this like overshadows <laughs> yeah, like any of the shortcomings it feels like in terms of the human story uh, of it all. So it's still absolutely worth seeing. I believe, I believe, did Apple TV? No, no, sorry. Nat Geo Grab this. So this Geo. is eventually going to be on Disney plus. Um, which is great.
2: Everyone should see it. That's all. That's uh, yeah. All. So just j- j- just to start with, with mine, I mean, I also saw Fire of Love. Um, I thought somewhat similar. I don't think the love stuff is as poorly conceived, I think, as I think Scott does, although I don't think it fully gets into I think, honestly, a lot of it's just because they're kind of weird people, and, like, they're sure. sort of impersonal as human beings, and so, like, maybe she, that's, like, she, part uh, of that is, it's, like, it's, it's yeah. flawed by design to try and arrange it in a way that's, like, exploring their love, but I think... Cotton really, is for like, sure. Yeah. yeah, they're just really kind of oddballs. And I think, like, they're... Yeah, I mean, it's their connection to nature that is really the most meaningful thing that has the most pathos, really. It's, like, how much they love these volcanoes and what they think it means in terms of humankind and, I think, like, the unknown of the entire thing. But, yeah, the footage is amazing. I mean, as someone who, like, lives in a place with, like, volcanic activity and, like, has gone on school field trips to, like, volcanoes, like, in like in school when I was, like, in elementary school. Like, I think it's it's a thing that I was already interested in. And so yeah. it sort of is a catnip for me. But, yeah, I mean... It's got gorgeous footage. I, I think, like, Miranda July was an interesting choice for the narration of the movie, I think. Did you like um, it? I didn't, actually. I, I kind of did, just because it was... Maybe just because it's a familiar voice that I enjoy hearing, and so, like, it was... Felt comforting almost in a way. Um, It did feel like a, it was trying to tease out a lot of emotion out of some stuff that maybe necessarily didn't have it, but I still think, in general, like, just in terms of the scale and the scope, and, and again, like you mentioned, the footage is, like, pretty astounding, and the kind of stuff that... You just don't really get to see too often and i think because of that it's going to be a kind of a hit i think i think this will be sort of in the vein of like not maybe not it's not an, as emotional but like almost in the vein of like the rescue where it's like the movie that's like goes up on disney plus and like has a decent amount of viewership because of its visibility and because of its act- yeah. level of access and it, it has the kind of cool angle of like oh it's volcanoes so like i think people who are into like planet earth i don't think it's quite as like human driven right as though i think the, it's more like, like playing the sharks like, than the rescue maybe but. maybe that's true i think it'll be a big player i think it'll be a big i think it'll have a bigger impact though than that is, is the sense I, that I agree because of, awesome.
1: of the subject matter i i do i do agree with that but
2: i this thing's not the rescue guys i'm sorry no i i mean i think the rescue is a very highly flawed movie honestly i think i like this more than the rescue to the truth um but, different podcast um, then yeah yeah i think but a very gorgeous looking movie and, and the kind of thing that like is definitely worth seeing and like if again it's like if you could see it in the theater like just cool oh God, footage yeah. of volcanoes yeah. pretty pretty yeah. sick um and then yeah, just I just hit on stuff that you guys have already mentioned. Meeting me in the bathroom I felt kind of similar to, to, to Scott Harvey. Um, I I'm not as into the music scene, so it was kind of a little educational, although I just they don't really do the work really to like inundate you with what's happening. Um, yeah. like I mentioned the narration just maddening, dude. Like I just was like so disoriented and I was like, who's talking when? I have no idea, like there's no the context is just not there. So the footage itself is it really cool. Um, no, it was not. I, I mean, maybe at some points. Who knows? They, they never had the the name underneath there, so it's certainly possible. Um, but it was weird. They had like, they throw some weird stuff in, like, 9-11 just, like, happens in the middle of the documentary, and, like, in a way that they sort, of, sort right. of go, and then they just sort of, like, dive right around it, and I was like, this is kind of weird, and it ends in a weird place. Kind of paints, like, the Julian, the lead singer of The Strokes, in a way that was
0: kind of rough. I feel like he came off as kind of, like, a... Don't you think wonder. they should have they definitely should have ended it at the right after the performance of maps that we see of the AA is giving the character Probably. giving, like I mean, it's hard to that say. was like, a that was a great spot to end it. I feel like I just it was, think it it's a mesmerizing what, performance. I, just,
2: I think it's a doc that doesn't know what it wants to be. And it feel, you can feel the, the stretching to try to get this behemoth of a book into like an hour and 40 minute documentary. Yeah. I just like, like it sort of struggles to like really be that compelling. Um, another movie that, we, you know, we sort of, that um, Scott mentioned, Second Chance, it had, I think it had the kind of, like, Tiger King vibes in terms of, like, just this figure of, like, this insane dude that is just, and I think it's interesting that it sets him up to look like an idiot so many times, where it has him saying something that's, like, factually false, and then it just, like, proves him wrong the moment after he says the thing, which is, like, entertaining but it gets to a point where I'm like, it feels repetitive, and I do feel like Raman Barani like, the editorializing shift, like, he leaned a little too much into, like, him commenting on, like, whether this guy was, like, you know, Marley riot or any, or all that stuff. But yeah, there's so weird, and then the booth is just kind of fascinating, but at, the, at a distance, and then weirdly has this emotional moment at the end that, like, actually got me invested and I was like, why was this not, like, I don't know, more of the story of this thing? Like, especially the fact that it's called Second Chance, I'm like, why wouldn't this have been the thing you almost anchor or, or sort of co-anchor the story around? It's like... Yeah, I also just feel like there's, like,
1: a missed opportunity for, like, some sort of, like, counter-narrative to the whole mm-hmm. thing that they really yeah. sit on for a
2: long time. Yeah. Yeah, I think they try to have it as a twist, and then I just don't think it fully connects when it's like the oh, like the whole thing with the pizzeria. I think like that whole reveal is like, it's just a bit hackneyed. And I think I don't know. Barani's a filmmaker I, I normally like, and it's weird him stepping into documentaries for this. Just feels like such a strange decision for me coming off of like a screenplay nomination. I know he was probably making this before that, right? Um, but it's just a weird pivot in his career but i think it's a movie that i found interesting to watch and it's like never boring really and it's the kind of thing i would almost like expect a lot of people to like more than i do just because it is sort of the kind of shocking like real life figure like this guy's kind of just crazy obsessive kind of guns guy um but it was like just okay i thought um duel do what you mentioned i think um i also i did not like the ending of this really um but it's continuing a the theme of the like, iconic dance sequences in Sundance movies like there's an amazing scene with Aaron Paul especially dancing and yeah. duel that's like this is just like amazing that it's in this movie um but yeah I mean Riley Stearns has a wavelength that his movies are like always at this register and I think like it either works or it doesn't Karen Gillen, I don't know if she's quite the person to deliver it I mean she's fully really committed to the bit really but I don't know if it is as entertaining with her because I think Jesse Eisenberg in Art of Self-Defense like because of his persona and the way he is as an actor, it almost makes it inherently interesting. And the other role. Really? Yeah. The other roles he's done just like kind of like right yeah. up that alley. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a movie that I think I like in theory more than I like in practice. Um, but I still think, still think it's entertaining and like worth seeing. It's just like, I just was underwhelmed by the ending. I love the concept though, of like the duel. I find that really interesting actually, like the whole, like the death and like the fact that she starts overtaking her life and that stuff I found interesting, but I think it just is a bit rough around the edges. Um, Eight, nine, I, just, two, I, yeah, felt... I just,
1: yeah I feel like the okay. other ending that it set up and then like subverted would have been like way more interesting. Yeah. The I agree. I agree. Then what
2: actually happened. I don't know. Yeah. And I think the the ending they do I think could have been done in a way that's like either more shocking or just more compelling. But I think ultimately yeah. it's like it's sort of like the air is like being let out of the balloon more than it's like you're being supercharged with this ending. So it was like I was I was kind of mixed on it. It was some weird thread of like a lot of Sundance movies feeling like they just didn't
1: and this is like movies, right? Like these are like indie movies that somehow don't sometimes they just don't all come together, right? But like and have something but don't are not quite big. Well it's not just that, but like it literally felt like maybe you could have just put another couple scenes in this movie. Like not even necessarily at the end, but like maybe you just could have put one or two more scenes in the film. Mm-hmm. Um where I feel like most of the time when we're talking on the main podcast, it's just like maybe they could have taken like five scenes out of this movie. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so that, that that I thought was was pretty good. I think eight nine two, um, I felt somewhat similarly to you. I, I think the performances, I think especially Bahari Williams and Boyega are really strong. I thought a Cunny Britton character was like totally miscalculated, and I don't like that whole subplot. I thought was really, and like when she meets with the woman from like this the VA afterwards, the VA. that scene was like yeah. cr- just bizarre. I don't like no and then I don't know, it won an did, award. Like, Sorry, we should have said it, it did win an award. Uh, it won for best ensemble, yeah, a special prize. I think it is generally well acted. Um, yeah. it's a, it, it sucks because like the contained thriller aspect, I think, could have made for a really interesting type of movie where it's sort of like the tension is is rising. But I think it sort of like redials itself in terms of its its level of tension at, at points in a way that I don't know if totally worked. And I don't like the ending. I think the way that they sort of structure that sort of the thing that happens at the end, I think, is like kind of like poorly conceived i didn't didn't love that um so I are think you talking about michael K. williams character sorry no the thing with john i mean no that's like the end end of the movie with john Boyega again like that whole i just think that was like a bit i don't know i think it was like a, a kind of hacky honestly like the decision to make that happen when it did and like the way that it's designed I don't, is that I not how love, it happened like, in real life or i'm not saying that it's not but i just think like the way that it's calibrated in i mean it's still a movie like ultimately so i just don't know if it works as yeah. the ending of the movie um Another movie that I thought was interesting and that I actually connected to, I think, more than most people, is Everyday in Kaimuki, um, which is a movie that's like sort of semi-documentary, semi-biographical about a young, uh, like a, a guy who lives in here in Hawaii. He lives in Oahu in the, the area of Kaimuki, and he's trying to move to New York with his girlfriend, and he's sort of struggling. Um, in that process, and I think because of that specific strand, like it really connected for me. Um, and I think the the relationships I found interesting, although I don't think I don't know if ultimately like the narrative totally hits, but I think that it gets at these feelings that I think I felt. That I think it does really well, and the sense of community I think was really strong. Um, and then the last movie that I was going to mention is the worst movie I saw that was absolutely terrible. Is really sad, honestly, is James Ponsoldt's new movie *Summering*, um, which is basically like, what if stand by me was bad and also was with girls um it's just like a you know a group of girls who are about to start middle school it's the virgin Bird. suicides
0: actually yeah. they go
2: on this like this adventure and then they find like make some weird discovery but it's just like so it's so it's a tonal mess and it has no idea what it wants to be from moment to moment and just like changes its mind of like it's one thing, then it's no, it's another. Oh, let's go back to the other thing. In terms, not just in terms of themes, but ideas and like the the plot also is like all over the place. Just a movie that I was like really just bummed out by, and like the early James Ponsel movies I love, and then this and the Circle is just like bleak. Honestly, like the direction of his careers is uh, not awesome. Um, so that was kind of a bummer, sort of uh, you know the festival. But I think in general, like there were that's really the only thing I actively disliked. I would say.
0: Um, so, like, for thirteen movies, I think that's a pretty good track record. Um, yeah, and that's how I felt about Sharpstick. Stick. But the highs were were higher for me this year than they
2: Oh, I didn't even. Stuff. Sorry, just to mention the I didn't even mention Emily Emily the Criminal. <laughs>
0: I don't know why I forgot this.
2: It's like one of my favorite movies. I watched at, at like for Sundance. I was um, bummed I didn't get a ticket to this because the second screen sold out. I was it was. I think it. it's. I think it's really really good. I mean, it's Aubrey Plaza is like this young woman um who's in debt. And she has a prior uh, conviction for a crime and so it's difficult for her to get a job and so she sort of becomes imbued in the underbelly of the, the criminal underbelly of Los Angeles and sort of things escalate from there. Um, I saw a friend of mine describe it as like if Sean Baker made a neo-noir and it's sort of at least thematically is so in that pocket of like it's confronting the classist struggles of her character um, along with the sort of like moment to moment thrills of a, a neo noir, I think it is like really well directed. And Aubrey Plaza, like getting a legit adult performance, which I think usually she's kind of doing a bit, even if it's like good, it's usually like she's kind of doing a bit. But I think like How's she's, the accent has, um, from Aubrey Plaza, oh, there's not, That's there's Aubrey not, there's not... About it. She,
0: had, she had an accent. I don't, no. I don't
2: think. I mean, kind. I guess, yeah, because her character's from New Jersey, so like she kind of does have. I mean, I guess I didn't really think about it too much. So I guess it it was like neither positive nor negative. It wasn't like super impressive, but it didn't totally like take me. Well, I didn't think about it. It was probably positive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is a great scene, sort of like a, a sort of almost cameo esque scene um, from Gina Gershon. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, that she's very entertaining in, but it's a cool movie that has like this anger that it really goes for like it's a movie that it doesn't it doesn't wait until she's like alone for her to like lash out she's like in a job interview and some guys like giving a short end of the second she's like fuck you like she's literally like in his face like this is unfair and ridiculous and you shouldn't be treating people this way and I, I like that edge of the movie um yeah i think i thought it was great honestly like one of the best movies i watched at sundance and something i i hope people will seek out it's, it's really really good but yeah
0: all right well there you have it uh a uh, very i think close to comprehensive recap of uh of the uh Sundance Film Festival from 2022 a lot of movies got talked about there uh movies that will probably come up some more uh over the course of the year hopefully you know especially in the case of After Yang and Cha-Cha Real Smooth and some of the stuff that we really liked but that'll do it for this episode of Some Like It Scott uh Paul throw it to you first where can our listeners find you on social media I really just Letterbox, search with my name Paul Yama O Y A M. Serialized. If you want to see, yeah, I mean, if you want, if you're
2: trying to see my TV TV watching, look on there. But I mean, Letterbox is the main thing. You'll see what I'm watching, what I think of, what I'm watching, and um, what I'm looking towards, you know, next and everything. Um, also, on Twitter at Paul Underscore Yama, but really, Letterbox is the main vehicle, especially for anyone listening to this podcast.
0: Scott at
2: S Shelton two zero one three
1: on uh, a- anywhere that I care for you to check me out.
0: And I'm at Scarby Dent on the same. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Even if you can't support us over there, however, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you will be back for our next episode of the podcast on which we will be discussing – it's not Koganata's – comeback it's even better it's roland emmerich's comeback she will be answering the question what if there was a moonfall we'll give you that answer next time on Some like it scott but until then I'm, yeah. scott Shelton. I'm scott harvey see you next time